build are the favorites. We here for the latest. South side or the north side. Not tuned to the greatest. Home team for the home teams. Both sides got our own rings. On the mound or the long ball. But we don't put the wrong strings. Yeah. It's that time of the year now. Wrigley or Gantee, so the whole league that we hear now. New show with a new mood. Discussions and interviews. Trade rumors that might be. This is Pinwheels and Knife. Yeah. This is what you waiting for, yeah. You can put it on a boy, yeah. Every season, make it all change. Take me out to the bar game. This is what you waiting for, yeah. You can put it on a boy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pinwheels in Ivy podcast. I'm Aldo alongside Kevin and Mitch, brought to you by Sports Mockery. Download the Sports Mockery app, get all the latest news on the Cubs, White Sox, Bulls, Blackhawks, uh, and Bears. Uh, turn on the push notifications. Again, we can talk about it. I think we're about to get into draft season, so obviously there's news there. And after that, trade deadlines come around, at, uh, what, like the first couple of days of August? Some mm-hmm. action on both sides of town. Uh, so download the Sports Mockery app. Visit sportsmockery.com. All right, guys. I'm, I was going to start off. A lot negative on the Cubs, but we'll save that for a little later. Let's go with some Sox talk here. Uh, Mitch, what the hell is wrong with Lucas Giolito? <laughs> I don't know. It's getting kind of – it's almost getting concerning. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt for now just because he was so good in 2019, 2020, and 2021. He had a sneaky good season. But ever since the the post-sticky stuff ban, his spin rate's been declining a lot. Post ban last year, uh, I saw Sweden was at two two seven two RPMs, and this year it's at twenty one sixty one. So it keeps dropping. His fastball velocity is down too. Uh, it's almost that Dallas Keuchel's gone. So now he's trying to do his best Dallas Keuchel impression. But it's <laughs> it's a little concerning because the velocity's down and the spin rate's down. His changeup doesn't seem to be nearly as as effective as it's been in years past. So. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a little concerning to see his ERA back up in the fives, but um, hopefully he can turn it around. I mean, there's still a lot of time. He did have the injury early on uh, in the year, so I will give him the benefit of the doubt for now, but it is getting a little concerning. You have to wonder if the, the sticky stuff, not being able to have it, if that's affecting him. Kevin, uh, there's some I saw some talk after his start against the Blue Jays uh, Wednesday afternoon and his obviously this is his fifth straight start now where he's allowed at least four earned runs. Uh back in the offseason, a big story heading into uh spring training was how he put on 20 pounds of muscle, putting on a lot of bulk in the offseason. Is that a factor, do you think, at all? A new just I don't know, pitching that new frame. He had the injury, he had he was on the COVID list. That could be a factor. That's what that, this is the, his struggles are coming right after. Uh, him coming off COVID, and we've seen, you know, Yohan Mankata last year. And I mean, <laughs> Yohan Mankata, I guess, maybe a whole different story with his overall struggles the past couple of years. But uh, maybe that could be a factor, too. What are you seeing in Lucas Giolito? Is it a mechanical issue? What are you seeing? I actually, I think the, the biggest muscle that's given him his, his uh, the, the most fits, I would say, is probably the one between his ears. I think that um, when you have 
you know, and this is something that a lot of people don't really see because it's part of the the regiment. But as a player gets a little bit older, especially after they come up and they want to have a little bit of staying power, the bulk up part of it, the weights, they do have to do and add like more more strength training to what they're doing because I know it sounds really crazy, but you're already on the decline after the age of eighteen. You're, you're you know your your testosterone is already going down. It is a downhill. So as you get into your mid twenties, they start upping your heavier weights. You start doing a little more bulk work because you're going to burn more over the course of the season because you don't have that testosterone to keep going for you. So it's, it's, um, it's, it's, I don't think it's as much him bulking up that could cause a problem. I mean, we always say you want baseball muscles, not beach muscles. And I don't think he went full Jose Canseco, but it's, it's, it is important to see if he, if he overdid it or he's still learning to adjust to where his strengths now were built. I mean, you know, the human body is a weird thing. I mean, we usually know our own bodies, but that does make for uh, a difficult adjustment period if you will because of you're learning now all of a sudden perhaps you have to change your arm slot a little bit because maybe your shoulder muscles are a little larger or maybe your lats are a little bit bigger and you have to readjust you're not getting the same and it does it will affect your command uh, uh, especially probably more than anything else and i think his command he's not hitting his spots but i, I he doesn't feel like he has that fighter that fighter pilot mentality right now he doesn't feel you know i mean there's a lot of debate today like you know why is he still in there I think he was a low. It looked like he was doing some. It was low um, impact work on the bump, and I think that I think Lewis was just like let him go, and he probably wanted to go and get some work in and maybe throw out of this a little bit. It didn't really work out for him. He got lit a little bit, but I think that that's part of it. He's just trying to work through whatever's going on mentally. Maybe it's off the field stuff. Who knows? But it doesn't. Feel, it feels like more than anything else right now. It feels it's that between the years an issue. I, I, yeah, I think that's a great point between the years, too, because you have to remember he had the arbitration hearing before and he wanted that new contract last year, didn't get it. And so this year, there's a lot of pressure on him. He wants a big new deal. Scott Moore's client. So, I mean, uh, I, I think that could be another factor, too, is because he wanted an extension. The White Sox didn't give it to him. So it's kind of a make or break year for him. You know, you have a bad outing and it's kind of spiraled from there. So that, that could be a factor in it as well. By the way, Mitch, great shirt. You got that. Thank uh, you. Yeah, I think yeah. that was the day that the fire Tony chant started against Texas. Yeah, yeah. And Lucas Giolito pitched that game very poorly, I might add. So, you know, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> great callback for, uh, yeah, just tough. A tough way to go for Lucas Giolito. Uh, obviously a fan favorite for a few years now. Uh, I was talking to a buddy how, you know, after his 2019 season, I, he was up there like in the Cy Young race in the AL. Uh, got some votes there and you know you, you always expect the linear rise of like okay he does this the next year he should improve to this uh, keep getting better and better uh, but even before I feel like uh, heading into this season he had the injury back in April uh, but he, I, it, it doesn't feel like he has it all there this year over he hasn't had like, that one good Lucas Giolito, like 12 strikeout game, no walks, dominating the opponent. Mm -hmm. uh, that just seems like from the beginning of the season, he, he's had times of dominance. Like that, I think when he came back from the injury against the Twins, I think he did strike out 10 and four innings, but he, it's that sharpness that he's missing. Uh, mm -hmm. Teams are doing a better job of adjusting to him. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that change up up. You know, we saw that against uh, Bill Bichette for the, and the Grand Slam on Wednesday, just sitting on. Uh, I think it was a 2-0 changeup. It's like, you're not fooling guys with that anymore. Uh, a little concerning, but again, uh, I'm with you much. Given the benefit of the doubt here, he has been good. Uh, maybe it is. Who knows what it is, but, oh, that, that's what I was going to bring up. I am, I am looking at stuff. it. 
I am also, yeah, I was going to say, I'm looking at some of his his work too when it comes to like, uh, uh, you know, he throws what a fat four seamer, a slider, change up curve. His, obviously, he only throws a curveball four and a half percent of the time. So it's not a, a big deal, but he's all over the place there. It looks like, you know, it looks like Ray Charles went on the shooting range. Um, and then you've got um, a change up, which is something he throws 22, 23 at a time. Also looks like, Tony La Russa had a couple beers and went out and shot at the, at, again, the shooting range there. There's a, like the one way out of there where it's like, Oh no, I wouldn't worry about that little one. Don't worry about that little one right there. If you see super troopers, that's, I mean, it's legitimately not even close to the zone. So he is, he is all over the place. It looks like with his change up and his curveball, his slider looks pretty good, but he's still missing down. And it looks like uh, to a lefty part of the back, the back left foot for a lefty. So he's missing a lot. Um, and it looks like he's throwing a lot to that spot too. He's trying to work down and in way to write his fastball looks pretty good i mean almost all it looks like a rorschach painting right now though because there's so far zone a lot of his pitches he is missing that poorly um with his command so the command obviously is an issue i don't think it's the sticky stuff because he didn't have that if it's not moving as much or it's moving too much he's overcompensating because his barrel percentage is in double the barrel percentage is in double digits for the first time in his career in fact the worst of his career was 9.4 this year is 12.3% of the balls that are put in play are barreled up. Last year was seven. In 2020, it was 5.6. So he's not missing barrels, and I'm not sure if the movement's too much and he's having a hard time locating, or if it's not moving as much and they're seeing it better, and I don't know, he, he's going to have to make some adjustments with, with his delivery too to hide the baseball maybe a little longer. Maybe it's those new balls. And oh, what was that story that came out? Uh, was it this week that they're gonna they're changing balls. the protocols now? And what are they doing with they're mudding <laughs> the balls? They're getting them nice and dirty. The greatest press release in baseball history, because literally they say the word muddy balls at least <laughs> half a dozen times. And I'm five years old and I'm like, ooh, muddy balls, muddy balls. But it sounds like yeah, they're gonna try and have some sort of uniform um, system in place for. Um, the rubbing up, rubbing of the balls, <laughs> um, rubbing up. And it sounds like they're going to probably, I, I, maybe I read that wrong, but I read that as they're going to have to rub them up the day of the game before they put them in the humidor for the game. Um, not that they're going to rub them up like three weeks ago, you know, three weeks before the game is, I mean, because the biggest problem these guys have is these, these muddy baseballs are rubbed up. They're rubbed up differently. They get in the bot, they get, they put them in the bag like 10, 12 at a time as they dry up that mud no longer is mud. It turns to dust. And so all of a sudden now it's harder to grip the baseball. If you can't lick your fingers or touch your sweat or whatever. So, you know, when, when these guys are, a lot of the times these guys are wiping their arms and they're, you know, they're touching their forehead and yeah, using a little bit of uh, a suntan lotion, sunscreen or whatever. It's because that baseball is now like, like the, like, like a skull that you pulled out of like the ground. Um, it's like Yorick from Hamlet. Just, you just popped his skull out of the ground. It's dusty and gross. And it, it's hard to grip. So, you know, wetting it back down again at least reactivates the the mud that was rubbed into it. So you get at least a little bit better grip. And that's part of the thing that we were talking about last year when they made some of these rule changes with, with the stupid, you know, the, the sunscreen stuff is just dumb. It's just let them do it. Um, it's not not making anything any less effective. It's making it less safe. And I think that now that because the guy got what the guy at Seattle got dosed in the head. Um, and this is why they've changed the rules in the first town. And so, I mean, um, you got to start paying these uh, clubhouse tenants a little bit more though, too, because their job just got a little bit more important because they wrote literally, this is what they write. Uh, after reviewing videos of clubhouse attendants from around the league, officials found a wide variety of muddying techniques. The proper technique this again, you want to get muddy balls. You're right. The proper technique involves 
painting the full surface of the ball with mud using two fingertips. Then comes a very precise rubbing motion with the ball in between both hands to get the mud into the pores of the leather. Muddying each ball is a 30 to 40 second process. And I can actually attest to that. That's pretty true. I mean, what? Oh. Huh. <laughs> All right. Uh, really sexual. So <laughs> the White Sox uh, cannot. Uh, who, who jinxed the White Sox, guys? Because Tim Anderson returned uh, this week from his injury uh, right away. I just got on base, scored very first game. Uh, played very well against the Blue Jays. White Sox took two out of three, lost game three on Wednesday. Uh, they also had a few injuries. Danny Mendick colliding uh, with Adam Hazley uh, down the – am I saying that right? Hazley? Hazley? Yeah. Hazley uh, down the left field line. Danny Mendick is helped off the field. He was uh, no weight on his right leg, I believe. Uh, he's getting an MRI. Uh Right now, I guess best case scenario, you're you're saying maybe it's just a new a knee bruise, uh, but man, how would that suck if he's the next guy who goes on the injured list? Well, it's weird now that Danny Mendick's become like an integral part of the team the way he's been playing at second base. But Josh Harrison picked a good time to start heating up uh, because I think we were all, at least I was a couple weeks ago that I would be completely fine with them DFAing him, especially the way with uh, Mendex playing, but, uh, Harrison, you know, he's a veteran. He's starting to kind of figure it out. I think, uh, that home run gave him a lot of confidence, but he was sneakily hitting pretty well the weeks prior to that. Uh, I think of over his last seven, he, he's hit, he's batting over 300. So, um, you know, he, he goes how to hit, uh, talent there now i think he's starting to play with some of that swagger that that we saw uh back in his like all-star days so i, I think that's gonna help so we'll, we'll see how long mendick's out but with the way harrison's been playing as of late you know maybe he's got some confidence tony larus does still trust him so uh i think they'll be able to weather that storm B- fingers crossed though but it always seems like there's an injury like white Sox can't have nice things it, it, just like when it looks like the bands get back together it was like one game was great we beat the blue jays and then uh then of course it all falls apart two games later yeah, and like Kevin, yeah, I mean, you've been on the uh, recently on uh, giving Josh Harrison another shot here, not giving up on him. Good, good time, good timing on that, Kevin. I was right. Like, I mean, maybe look smart. It was just kind of like I woke <laughs> up on a Tuesday, I think, and I saw someone getting shit on. I'm like, hey, why is he getting shit on? Why? Hey, dude's hitting like 3:30 in June. He's actually playing yeah. pretty well because he looks terrible at the plate. He has such bad at bats that you would not actually think that he's hitting. You know, he's got a, almost a, his OPS is almost 800 um, in the month of June. You would think that watching some of those at bats where you're like, he might, like, he might as well go up there with a plunger or, you know, you know, put a both an eye patch over both eyes because he looks so bad. He's just swinging his shit like a farmer in the dirt. And then you look at the numbers and he's been cons- quietly consistent. And I game winning RBI. I mean, he it's a game changing home run days ago before that against the Blue Jays. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's he's a hot hand. You ride him till he's not. So that's at least a nice part for what the White Sox and they're they're his 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 offensive production in that nine holes is extremely valuable. I mean they're putting up runs, which is good because that's something they really struggled with. Now there's the pitching staff needs to kind of tighten it up a little bit. His defense has been really solid too. Oh, that, that play he made at second base the other night was insane. Pretty, it was really nice. And then he made that play. I think it was late in the game. I, I think it was either the ninth inning or extras. He, he ranging over his shoulder. Uh, made mm. a really nice catch uh, there too. But he, the last seven games, he's hitting 370, 
433 OBP and 41 slugging. I mean, the slugging, you know, he's not a big slugging guy, but 370 over the last week is pretty good. And even, his, so, even over his last 30, he's hitting 256. He was hitting that for the full year. I mean, we'll we'll take that. So um, Especially considering he's kind of in that spot where Moncada would normally be, and Moncada struggled so much, but now that he's out, you're actually getting a bat that's 100 points better in the lineup, not feeling the pressure to you know keep banging your head against the wall with Moncada until he comes back and figures it back out and gets 100%. Which is good too. I, I'm glad because like Dallas Keuchel was a guy like it was hard to root for. Like when he got DFA, it was like good riddance with it. Like I didn't want to like even when I was saying like yeah, if we had to get rid of a guy when Jimenez returns, like Harrison be that guy. I mean, he didn't want to get rid of Josh Harrison. He seems like a good clubhouse guy. I mean, it's hard to. I'm glad he's turning it around because he's an easy guy to root for. So I, I'm glad it's starting. He's starting to heat up a little bit. Is he turning into this season's? Uh, who was it last year for the Sox? The outfielder. Um... Billy Hamilton? Ryan Goodwin. Billy Hamilton. Billy Hamilton. He's turning oh, to this Billy year's Ham- Billy. Oh, Ooh, that's it's, tough. It's, it's, Billy Hamilton was a cult classic. He He's a cult hero. I don't know. I don't think he's a Billy Hamilton level yet. Um, he's just getting started, though. Like, his last interview was great. His last interview was great. They're like, they're like this is the first walk-off since Blank and Blank. Yeah, three years ago. Oh, it's like four years ago. <laughs> his interview was great after the game yesterday. I thought that was – it showed off. He was – it looked like he was having a little fun. And, again, when guys are having fun – it's contagious. And again, this is a tough, that was a tough stretch for the White Sox and they played well. I mean, they split in essence, they kind of, they, they, they split with Houston and the Blue Jays, two playoff teams. And that, that right there is a solid, you know, you, you know, the, they lost two of three to Houston. They went three, two of three with, with the team that just swept them three weeks ago. Yeah. That's positive. Now you get to what? Is it Baltimore? Baltimore. Yeah, Baltimore, next, yeah. so off on Baltimore. Hopefully that's a good thing. Yeah. And the twins uh, are I did want to come back down to earth too, which which is nice. Well, they they play Cleveland a ton over the next couple of weeks. So, as Sox fans, do you think that? I mean, I, I personally would probably be rooting for them to split up fifty percent right down the middle, go you know five hundred against each other. I mean, is that what you would want? What what what's your ideal with those two guys going head to head a ton over the next couple of weeks? Oh, I, I agree. I well to beat up each other. Both of them go five hundred. Snow can get a big lead, and then I think we got the Twins. The first series uh, is like the fourth uh, and two weeks or so so you know they just keep they keep playing 500 ball against each other then, then we got the twins we take two or three there and uh, we're right back in this thing mm-hmm. i did want to ask you mitch uh back in 2020 uh zoe's notoriously recorded saying on this very podcast that he did not sweat uh cleveland uh do you what do you make of this cleveland team because obviously the minnesota twins are the team the team that started off hot this year in the al central they built up the lead uh, and now Cleveland's caught them. Uh, I think entering Wednesday, they were tied uh, first place in the division. So what do you make of Cleveland? Do you think that they can sustain their success? No, no. Overachieving team. You take Jose Ramirez off them. What are they? I, I don't think I think they're the beneficiaries of a really bad division and they're just playing well right now. But that's a, that's an overachieving team. They'll, they'll come back down to earth. I'm not worried about either of these teams. As of right, like even when they were five games under, I would still bet the White Sox to win the division. They're clearly the most talented in over 162 games. It'll it'll even out. So I'm not worried about either of them. Now playoffs is what I'm worried about, like because at this point the division doesn't really matter. Like we've already had two first round exits. Like it's you got you got to make some noise in the playoffs, and that's what's concerning me. I don't think the White Sox can as of right now. But as far as winning the division, I think they'll. It might be ugly, but they'll, they'll win the division. It's the playoffs I'm more worried about. That's Which is great. I looked at it today. What is it? The record against playoff teams, I think, after today was 14 and 17, or is it 17 or 16 and 19? It was three games under 500 only. So it's actually pretty solid, which is what you want to do. You want to really split with the good teams in a regular season and then just take care of the, the crap teams, which they haven't done. That's where they've actually struggled, I think, more is they've, they've not done well against crap teams. 
Their uh, road record's really good this year, too. It's at home. Mm-hmm. They've been playing pretty poorly, which, you know, they mm-hmm. figure that out. Because that was their big issue last year. They couldn't beat good teams. And they couldn't win on the road. They're actually almost a, an exact replica of the Chicago Bulls from this season, if you look at it. Added some free agents, both Jerry Weinsdorf own teams. But uh, <laughs> key guys got hurt. They could not win on the road. Uh, and down the stretch, like it showed, because they couldn't beat good teams in this early first-round exit. They were the dead ringer for the Bulls last year. <laughs> Yeah, the White Sox are currently 33 and 34, uh, 15 and 18 at home, and uh, 18 and 16 on the road. I was going to ask you guys, I, I was looking over their schedule um, for the past month or so. And yes, they've had the injury. So obviously, that's why they just haven't had any consistency, really. They, they just can't, uh, uh, talking about the White Sox, they just can't get like over that 500 hump. They keep teetering over, like they're right at it. And, like, this was a perfect example. If they're playing great against Toronto, uh, you know, they blow the game on Tuesday late, but then they come back, they're going back and forth, they win in extra innings, you're feeling good. Uh, you know, you have Gilu on the bump, and despite the struggles, like, you still feel kind of good when he's pitching for you. Uh, they lose that. They have a couple injuries. They So that's why I'm looking ahead uh, at their schedule. The, the next week, so they're playing four against Baltimore, and then they go on the road. They have three against the Angels. The Angels started off hot, but they've been garbage ever since, like, April. The White Sox, this is the time that they need to take advantage. Like, they need to go five and two, six and one. They need to. They better win five of the seven games. Like, but how much confidence do you have that they will? Uh, that's the thing. In theory, they should, but just the way they've been playing, yeah, it's, it's time. I think they'll probably, oof. Maybe the way they need to win. I think they should win five. They'll probably win like four and it'll be ugly and they'll blow a lead in one. <laughs> most likely that that's probably what's going to happen, but they, I mean, they should. And Tony LaRusso brought this up the other day. They all five starters. You have confidence in. There's not a weak link in the rotation anymore. Despite the fact Giolito's pitching poorly, which I get, but like it's still a former all-star Cy Young caliber pitcher. You just got to figure it out. But like all five guys, you have confidence that you throw them in and you're going to be in good shape. I would argue like, this, though. if I'm Tony LaRusso, I don't let Johnny Cueto see another National League team all season. <laughs> Maybe. He is dynamically different against National League teams versus American League teams because he's not, he's, they don't, they've never seen him before. He's, he's a National Leaguer by career. So a guy like Cueto. That is a good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. He hasn't looked great against National League teams. I mean, it's, I mean, the Dodgers lit him up. They were like, hey, I see you. saw you like six times a year, bro. And so, I think that's a big part of it, but I I, you're, I just wanted to kind of interject with that because I do – Cueto is – the only thing about Cueto is I would not throw him against a National League team. That's it. Lucky They're, for Cueto, there's only two National League teams on the schedule in July. One of them happened to be San Francisco. And hopefully he doesn't face them because that could be ugly. That 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 could be one. Let's hammer the over the, on that one. That's the one National League team that never got to face him because he was with them. So. That's true. But at the same time, you do kind of – you see him in batting practice during uh, yeah. spring a little bit. I, yeah, doing some of the – both ways. Live pens. Yeah, the I was gonna say quickly the other injury or the major injury for uh, the White Sox on Wednesday was Adam Angle. That one sounds a little more serious. It was the hamstring. Tony Larusa saying that is a cause of concern. It's the same injury that he's had. It's the uh, annual Adam Angle. Hamstring. Yeah, I was gonna ask you. So how frustrating is that? Because like you always hear like, oh, if Adam Angle could just stay healthy, but at some point that just becomes part of I would the player you are. Yeah. And I would say it's frustrating, but we have like our annual Eloy injury at this point, And then a star <laughs> player like Robert gets hurt. Kopech has problems when he's like, that. It, it's there's so many guys that get hurt. You're almost like numb to it at, at this point. Did Eloy hit a jack tonight? 
Say that again. Did Eloy hit a jack tonight? He might have. I know he had a couple knocks the other day. Let's see here. He looks like he strafed it to right. No, I just hit it off. He hit a hard ball off the right field wall. Very nice. I'm glad yeah. it, that it's resumed. The Rick Khan has resumed the uh, rehab assignment there because that was kind of wonky going on. Too. Is there any timetable? Have they put the any timetable for Eloy this time around? I did not see anything. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be another month or so. Because <laughs> I was going to ask, I was going to set the over under. I was going to say all star break, but that seems too far away. That's like a month away. I mean, he has to be back before then, right? Initially, the time to, I think they said initially before the pause, they expected him to be back for the twin series uh, around the fourth. The fourth so hopefully that's still the timeline, but maybe it's pushed even longer because they had that, that break in between. So we'll see. Here, here you go, real quick. Here you go, real quick. And watch the dance at the end, by the way. Oh, what is that uh, message? First, with a long pause at the end of May, trying to ease him back in. He'll poke one down the right field line. Granberg moving over, and that one's going to hit off the Worcester wall. Jimenez, as we have said, taking it easy on the bases. Not single. So let's just have a having a little fun there. Looking. This is this isn't the old man yelling at clouds, but Eloy, you can't be dancing around the bases when you have your injury history. I thought he was about to bounce off and sprain his ankle. Yeah, he's gonna have a workers' comp for that one too. I was just waiting for. Yeah, no, that's exactly. I was waiting for something to happen. Slips, falls, slips, falls. Hyperextends his elbow. Mitch, as as Sox fan, do you get queasy? Do you ever look ahead, think ahead, like a couple years? Not even this off or not even this postseason, but just a couple years ahead, looking at Giolito, looking at he's his contract is or he's gonna be free agent after two thousand twenty or 2023 and be like fuck like is is this team good enough yeah i it's tough because there was so many years watching the yomer sanchez's of the world like waiting to get to this moment where we have a competitive team that i'm trying to enjoy it but because they've been so mediocre this season like it does like you look at it, it's like Man, it seems like this is the window and we are not taking advantage of it. And then by the time we need to, like, they realize that it's going to be too late because all these guys are going to leave. So, yeah, I mean, it is kind of a concern because it seems like the window is now. Like, this is this should be the year you're spending money trying to add that last piece. And what did they do? They brought in Josh Harrison from the bargain bin. And yeah, <laughs> this is what we're getting. So, it, yeah, bargain I, bin. that's like the super, like, they, they found Excalibur. <laughs> in a dumpster uh so again yeah i big I, these next seven games because again the, the white Sox are right there they've been playing their offense has been great lately uh obviously they had like uh, the even the game on wednesday they lost they didn't they didn't just lay down and die they came back a little had a chance to tie it in the eighth having the bases loaded but then larry garcia came up uh <laughs> Um, it's the, it's the, I tuned into the game during that during that situation when Lira Garcia comes up, and uh, he was only in the game because of the injuries. Uh, and Steve sounds like, yeah, he's had three at bats. He's over three, <laughs> just zero confidence that Lira Garcia was going to come through, and yeah, he grinded out to second base. Uh, but yeah, no, the next seven games, the White Sox, if like this is the time, like I know I, it is a weak division. Uh, 
you know, as bad as the White Sox played, they're only, what, four games back, four and a half games back. Uh, they should probably still be the favorites. They have the most talent. But at the same time, you know, it is we're a week away from July. You can't just be playing at five below 500 ball and expect to. Again, it's, it's the whole confidence level. <laughs> yeah. And I one of the biggest things that I'm concerned about, non like injury related, is the fact the bullpen, which they spent a lot of money on, it, it seems like they're overworked. Because yeah. the starters are only averaging like five innings a start. Cueto's the only guy that consistently, he's gone six every one of his starts, six plus. He's the only guy that's consistently like, okay, he's going to get us to the sixth inning. A lot of these others guys, like Dylan Cease, you know, he's going to be solid through four. And then the fifth inning, it's roll the dice. We'll see what happens. Luckily, it went our way yesterday. But, like, they're not going deep into games. If your bullpen has to cover four innings, like, that adds up in October. I'm a little concerned, especially because they already have so many injuries. And we spent a lot of money on that bullpen, and now they're all going to be tired and injured heading into October. That's not a winning formula. Like the starters got to like start going deeper into games. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we saw that in the extra inning games when like you had uh, the Martin guy come in pitching in a high yeah. level situation. Uh, Vince Velasquez was pitching in extra innings because you have to like rest guys because you know that you have to rely on them like five out of seven uh, games a week. Uh, and that always have we burn all of our good like Joe Kelly, Kendall Graven. They'll come in like one game and like all right, we got the elite line, and then the next game like for some reason none of these guys can throw back to back days. Like we're paying Kendall <laughs> Graven all this money, he throws fourteen pitches. Like well, no, he's not available today, so we're bringing I, Davis Martin in and Jimmy Lambert key situations. Terrible. We're we're at that point where all these dudes are sore as hell. They are yeah. begging for that All Star game. These guys are gutting it right now. It's actually that time of year. Late June, early July, these guys are their bodies are ready for the break. So I mean, you almost have to like the bounce back and recovery time for like a guy, you know, might be two or three days. Like right now, um, you want to, and obviously you want them stronger for the stretch run. So better to burn them out in August, October, September than burn them out in June, July. So you can kind of get yeah, make like I'm a friend of the show, Chase and Shreve. I mean, I was talking to him. He had a rough night last night and. He's just like before the game, we were texting. He's like, I'm just sore. Like just everybody's sore. And so I'm like, that makes sense because you know, you're at that point where your body's they're familiar with the routine and they're almost to the, you know, the, that little break where they can actually like go home and just for a couple of days, let their body heal naturally without having to even put it through any kind of physical exertion at all. Uh, you brought up Dylan C. Smith and uh, what do you have? Like 11 strikeouts? uh, Yeah. Tied a career high 11 yesterday. Uh, outside of, uh, you know, White Sox fans who absolutely, uh, cheer for Dylan sees, uh, I am the most frustrated seeing his starts as a better for him to lead uh, major league base one strikeouts this year, because I do believe he, he has the highest strikeouts per nine innings, but like you said, he's only going like five or six innings every start. And I'm like, guy, come on now. I, I need that extra inning out of you. I know th- I need those extra couple strikeouts every start from you, but he just gets burned out by the fifth or sixth. You could tell very early on too, whether it's going to be a good Dylan C start. If he's like locating his fastball, once it starts like leaking up in the zone and he's missing high a bunch, it's like, uh Oh, here comes another four inning start. So like he, he's got, he's got, he always has the stuff to rack up strikeouts, but I think a lot of times too, you'll see him like nibble when he gets ahead. Oh, two. And then it'll turn into like three, two before he like gets mm-hmm. the case. So like it, it racks up. I think he's just got to learn how to be a little bit more efficient with his pitches because I, I tends to nibble and he, he lacks control at, at times. 
uh, also Dylan Cease this year has been the master of, uh, you know, allowing like three to four runs, but they're all unearned, uh, which again, not his fault uh, in some situations because there are errors made behind him. But I was looking at his numbers. I'm like, Dylan Cease hasn't been like this great. Why is his ERA already like two back down? I'm like, all right. Like he had a stretch of you know, like 12 straight runs that he gave up were unearned in four starts. He, he's only had one like awful, awful start. And that was against Boston. Because mm-hmm. a lot of it's like five innings, three or one type stuff. But I will say this yeah. for Dylan Cease. I think his slider might be the best pitch on the White Sox staff. Like that thing is filthy. He had 20 swings and misses yesterday, 18 K on the slider. Like that is one of the most underrated pitches in baseball. It is filthy. I think last I saw had the second highest spin rate in, in baseball too for, for a slider. So that thing's filthy. That, that's one of the better pitches they have. Mitch, uh, watching that game, uh, how do you feel? I, I mean, it was both sides, but there were some, like, obviously Dylan C's got a lot of calls. When you're watching a game where the umpire is absolutely awful, like, wh- <laughs> how do you even process what's going on? Because obviously we all hate when umpires miscall against our teams, but when they, but that's the thing. These were, like, beyond bad calls because, like, the strike zone. It did not exist. Yeah. Well, the biggest thing is consistency. Now I have, I'm a little bit more lenient with umpires because I used to um, travel games back in the day for extra cash. Having all those parents yell at you. It's like, Uh, ah, you know, I can't, Mitch, I apologize for all those douchebags. It's brutal. It's all, yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing is consistency. And the other night, they just wasn't consistent. And so, like, that that's your biggest complaint, is especially as, like, a hitter. You can't figure out where the strike zone is. Like, well, that was called the strike last at that. That's where it gets the most frustrating. But, I mean, they ended up winning. So, I mean, I can't I can't complain too much. All the call – I mean, a lot of it was bad, and it was in our favor. So, it's like, you know, what, what are you going to do? I mean, I'll take it. I, I'm looking at Dylan C's. His vertical movement on his four-seam fastball is actually better – than his vertical movement on his slider. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, that to me is just, yeah. And like the horizontal movement, obviously there's a huge difference with the horizontal because obviously you're going left to right or right to left. Well, for him, left, right, you know, right to left. But even that is at a really, really low rate. I mean, that's going to be in the negative regardless because you're it's a fastball. It's flat. Um, but wow, that's interesting to say the least. Oh, by the it's way, all we moving. Do- up or down, depending. There is a uh, there is a uh, great article from Slacks on 35th Street last uh, week talking about the possibility. You know, this is all hypothetical. They laid it out perfectly how the chances are very low, but they had the premise of if the Miami Marlins ever made uh, Jazz Chisholm, you know, available via trade, uh, what would it take for the Sox? Uh, you can go read it on Sox on 35th. Uh, and then I think Josh Nelson asked our guy, Matt Zawoski, at Southside Zoo in Delaware, um, asked him, uh, like, in a just did a, on Twitter, would you trade? Uh, it would take a lot more, but, like, the main piece would be, would you trade Eloy Jimenez for Jazz Chisholm? So I'll open it to the floor. Would you do that trade? Or, no. or I'll rephrase it. I'll rephrase it because, again, it's complicated because it would have to take a lot more because, you know, you have to factor in uh, Chisholm still being pre-ARB and Eloy's contract and stuff like that. If you could have one of those two players, who would you prefer on your team? Eloy Jimenez or Jazz Chisholm? Eloy Jimenez. Now, mind you, the injury thing stinks, but I think just like needs – 
Uh, Eloy, we got locked up for a long time, and that the health thing is a big if at this point. But uh, it, there's so much, so much talent and power there, and I think we got other needs. And as a med- Danny Mendick truther, uh, you know, I'm confident that he can man down the fort until we get Colson Montgomery, Gilbert Sanchez up here. Uh, so I mean, I think I, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't make this. I'm not as high in Jazz Chisholm as everyone else is. I think you know, if we were going to make a trade, I would add another arm. I would slash your tires if you tried to drive him to the airport, Zoe. <laughs> That's not I wouldn't let you trade him. No, do not. Zoe's no. been on, like, he's been on the hey. Jazz high for uh, Jazz gives off. Jazz gives off the uh, look at the way he plays the game vibe to me he, right now. He's just where, the new flavor. The a little bit, the hype is really kind of like but what is it like watching that dude play every single day? What kind of player? I don't know because I don't watch the Marlins. I mean, I'm pretty much nobody watches the Marlins. So <laughs> I don't know how that guy carries himself, you know, one through nine, you know, the entire ball game in between pitches. I, you know, he might have these moments where you're like, cat, damn, this guy's talented. But what is he in the clubhouse? What is his reputation? It doesn't sound like anybody there really likes him. Do you really want to throw someone in the clubhouse that's going to be as volatile as that? Or do you think somehow throwing a guy that basically is hated by all his teammates in Miami are going to be like, Hey, I turned over a new leaf here. He's going to get what he wants. He gets out. And when he's not happy there, he's going to, you know, throw a hand grenade wherever he's at. And that concerns me more than anything. Whereas Eloy is a clubhouse guy. You've got to do that picks up the clay. He's a funny big baby. I mean, he's out there dancing on the bags tonight. That's great. I mean, that's what he is. I mean, yeah, it drives you nuts and his injury stuff is a question mark, but I don't know. I, 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 I I'm not selling him for a guy that I'm not sold on is a good teammate. And in this, in the, in, in a championship locker room, that does matter. I it, do. doesn't, it doesn't matter when you're in your shit bat, you know, when you're dead last like Miami or, you know. I do think the uh, whole Jazz Chisholm team meeting stuff, I mean, I, again, I don't, I, like you said, Kevin, I'm not watching a lot of Miami Marlins games uh, this year or any year. Uh, but that's like a team of like, the majority of that roster are like 33, 34, 35-year-old veterans who aren't that good anymore, who I think maybe are like, hey, kid, what the fuck are you doing? Like you said, maybe, hey, we all know that baseball and sports is a culture, especially baseball. There is a culture there where you don't act, your veteran veteran guys don't like if you act a certain way. We can clearly see Jess Chisholm is a unique personality where he doesn't really give a shit what other people think. He'll mm-hmm. do it whatever he wants. Um, and I think in that, I think that, that was a little overblown. Uh, with the White Sox, I mean, most of the court is young guys. Yeah, there are veterans. There's Jose Abreu. You know, it's Grandall on the pitching staff. There's Lynn. But why do those guys mostly get along? They're younger guys. They're, they're younger guys, similar age, came up together. Um, I do agree with you. I think the, the Jazz Chisholm uh, hype train has, I think, been overblown a lot this year. I was looking at his numbers. Uh, I mean, for a team that, uh, you know, the White Sox that need more guys to get on base, Jazz Chisholm has like a barely 300 on base percentage. I feel like he's not hit lefties either. He can't hit lefties. He feels like the new flavor of the month. Last year was Adam Frazier, and look what Adam Frazier is this year. I'm so glad we didn't give ass. Oh, man, you're speaking right, barking right up Zoe's tree, Mitch. Another another, uh, Zoe guy, Adam Frazier. (laughs) This is why you go fishing, Zoe. You leave the house. (laughs) When the the cat's away, the mice will talk about players that you – like, <laughs> uh, so also told me that I have a big dump in my pants. Um, so he's very angry. But this, I mean, his 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 description of why he likes jazz is 
Javi is a great defender. Sucks ass versus lefties. Has fun. I think, you know, I mean, that's really where you could go with that. You could change out Jazz and Javi. And, you know, I think it's a culture thing and with the Cubs and the Cubs club, Sox club. I mean, you could really, I mean, that's what it feels like. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what he, I just, I, I get a bad vibe from based on the stuff that you're seeing that's kind of coming out of. That you know, which is bad for the clubhouse too, because that shit should be handled in house. We shouldn't have known oh, about a yeah. players. We should never have known about a players only meeting. That's not cool that that leaks out either. So unless Jazz, you know, maybe Jazz leaked it too. I I don't know. Loose lips in the clubhouse. Who 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 do we know is leaking? Was it beneficial for him for everyone to see? Oh no, poor that poor me. They're they're you're ostracizing me, or was it a this guy's such a dick that I don't even give a shit. We don't like him, and we all came together to to say that. Like I mean, it's it's is it worth it? Is it worth it for this locker room, for this run during this window? People tell you who they are. Believe them. Jazz is telling everyone I am a locker room cancer. Like, it's just like where there's smoke, there's fire. Like uh, everything surrounding him, it just screams the locker room problem. I did. Yeah. Especially for the talent he is like, you know, it'd be one thing. I, 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 the numbers just don't jump off the page to, for, to roll the dice on that. Especially giving up someone like Eloy Jimenez. I, how many wins a year? How many wins in 162 and in a postseason is going to really make up? And that's the question is that's value versus locker room effect. That's, you know, will he make up that many games in the win column compared to where they're currently at? Or if they went with, say, like someone mentioned Castillo from the Reds, who are truly selling and probably selling for not much. Um, is, is that a better option? Castillo, totally different reputation. He's got a good reputation as a good teammate. He's good bat, speedy, causes some havoc. He's a fun guy to play. He, you know, he's a good, he'd be a really good guy in the bottom, you know, or, you know, maybe like the eight or nine, probably the nine. And you could pair that up with Tim Anderson. I mean, that's solid too. I I think that's a better one to go after than mm. I think as better option. Uh, uh, the other thing I was, I was like, I mean, what's the depth behind uh, the depth outfield depth behind Eloy Jimenez for the White Sox? <laughs> I mean, I know there's uh, what's his face, uh, Cespedes, um, Oscar Colas, Colas, mm-hmm. but it's like you know after this year, AJ Pollock is he's gonna be a free agent, right? I believe he has an option, or does he have an option? Okay, I'll so I mean that's the right one now. option. But like you know, obviously Lewis Roberts gonna be in center field, and uh, then you have Andrew Vaughn. Do you want to keep? Oh, let's switch that. Let's switch to something positive. But I, I, I agree with you guys. I I was. That was the other thing. I was shocked by the results. Uh, it was like two. It was like sixty six thirty four percent saying uh, trade Eloy for Chisholm, and I was like, whoa! And it was like this was like over three hundred votes on Zoe's uh, poll last week. Very shocked, and I get it. It's because it's annoying because the injuries, the the type of injuries that Eloy Jimenez has sustained, like his own fault, doing dumb stuff in the outfield, um, coming off a disappointing. Uh, you know, a few months in 2021 as well. But uh, I was very surprised how at least it seems uh, a portion of Sox fans are now feeling about Eloy, Eloy Jimenez. But let's talk about Andrew Vaughn, Kevin, your guy since day one, since pre-draft, uh, the best number nine hitter in MLB history, probably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I still can't get over that. I'm sorry. AJ um, Pollock is... Signed till 2024, by the way. He's got oh, oh, that's when he's a free fantastic. agent. He's got an opt out after this season, though. Yes, mm. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, he's got an opt out. And he gets a $5 million buyout. If he, it, it, his uh, option escalates, I think, after like 400 at bats, 450, 500. Mm. He ain't going to get there. 
Uh, so well, he might. I mean, who knows? <laughs> we have another. The injuries keep breaking. He's going to be the only outfielder healthy. Uh, well, I mean, he spent time on that injured list too. So Which Andrew is funny Vaughn in LA, they nicknamed him Bird Bones. I was asking oh, a bunch shit. of the guys in ESPN about like what they thought of the trade when they got Kimbrel, and they were all excited about Kimbrel. I was like, all right, good luck with that. And I was asking him about Pollock, and they're like, you're getting a very good defender. He's gonna hit, but he's always hurt. His nickname is Bird Bones around here, and I was like, oh, I hope they're right. The box. So. All right. Actually, well, relatively speaking, he's been pretty healthy this year. So fingers crossed, he's been a lot healthier than he has in year past. Yeah, yeah, so far. Um, so Kevin, and I mean, just go speak poetry about uh, Andrew Vaughn and his last couple of weeks have been just a tremendous pace. Well, going in today, so and today, what he we go two for four today. Uh, so uh, he's at the point right now in his season where if he doesn't get two hits, his batting average is dropping. Um, that's pretty awesome. But he, in the month of June, fifth best in baseball, 389 average with a 444 on base percentage, 22 of his 28 hits are singles, 17 games. Um, he's just getting it done up and down. I mean, he's, his bat, he's hitting what, 333, three, some odd, somewhere, somewhere around that ballpark right now. And he's, I mean, Anthony Rizzo just hit a home run, by the way. Um, sorry. <laughs> Where is he? At? Uh, is he at? Alfonso Rivas just hit a grand slam. Even better. How about that? Ooh. Or does that say Rivas? Oh yeah, I missed. It. I thought that said Rizzo. <laughs> well, you have Yankees uh, notifications on, Kevin. Oh, I have problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you playing the Rockies? Um, yeah, he's at three thirty three right now with thirty one RBI, seven homers. I mean, the dude's playing great. He's he's what we talked about on the show, which is what he came up with. Uh, he came up, yeah, he's hitting right. He's finally, and that, that's part of the adjustment period. But you, this is the thing that we, we talked about on the show. He's a mature, polished, collegiate adult hitter. So that's what had, gave his value. I, I think I said, you know, burn the house down if the White Sox pass on Andrew Vaughn in that draft. And the fact is he comes up and he has great at-bats. He, he literally learned to hit. He learned to be a major league hitter while hitting at the major league level. And and if that doesn't give you pause as the, the kind of a character and mental toughness the kid has, it also is just a testament to the kind of phenomenal work and, and, you know, hand-eye coordination and adjustment and just mature, just everything about him. The fact that he learned to be a major league hitter while playing at the major league level, he didn't, you know, he, what did he get like 130 at bats? And um, learning how to play an entirely new position that he had yeah. in high school. God, he played second base today. <laughs> I mean, he's been all over the place. And and to do that, and yes, and you know, I know, although you're making fun of the nine-hitter stuff, Tony La Russa, say what you want about all the other stuff. You cannot criticize how Tony La Russa has developed Andrew Vaughn. It, it feels like he has done a perfect job with just one player. It's not everybody. It doesn't have to be all the other players. But how he's handled Vaughn, pulling him. Everyone used to get, remember how pissed off everyone would get because he'd like play and then he'd sit for like two or three days and then he'd play again. He was trying to teach a guy in the midst of a competitive window how to be a major league hitter at the major league level out of necessity. And Andrew Vaughn developed in the midst of that chaos with his hair on fire. That tells me what kind of a person as a human being and an athlete that Andrew Vaughn is, which tells me that his struggles, whenever those may come as a player, will always be things that he makes up for, adapts to, and finds a way to outwork the issue because he's going to continue to evolve as a hitter. This is just the beginning. He's going to continue to grow. And this is guys like this get better. His stats at his age with his amount of plate appearances is on pace with Vlad Guerrero. I mean, think about that for a second. One of the most marketable players in the entire game right now, the one of like the incredible Hulk of baseball. And Andrew Vaughn has started out 
with just as good or better stats than him in the first, what was it? What, how many was it? Was it 165 games, Zoe, or something like that? Or I can't remember. He pulled up the, the numbers today in the chat, but it's insane. It's insane. The biggest thing, and you touched on it, is he, he figured out how to hit righties, which you knew he would because he's a professional hitter. Like you could tell when he came up. Like, he only had 55 minor league games under his belt. And like you said, he's learning on the fly. So with an off season to work on it, uh, now he's shown he's not like a platoon player anymore. But he's been crushing righties. Seven or uh, six out of his seven home runs this year have come against righties. He's hitting 318 against right handers, and he's got an 871 OPS. So like that just that that was his biggest improvement this year is you figure out how to hit right-handers, which is why you're seeing the numbers jump. But he should be an all-star. If you're looking at all the guys in the White Sox right now, the, one of the biggest bright spot has been Andrew Vaughn, I think. And on a team that's really underperformed, he right he would be the front-runner for me to be an all-star for him this year. He's, he's been that good. Oh, he's been absolutely incredible. Uh, and, yes, uh, here are the numbers, Kevin, that you brought up. Uh, this was during the uh, swap meet that the White Sox broadcast does. Brought to you by Christopher Campa. And uh, it was uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Andrew Vaughn first 176 games, batting average Vlad 261, Andrew Vaughn 263, runs 79 to 78, doubles 36 to 34, home runs the same, both with 22, RBIs 94 to 79, on base percentage 331, 330, and slugging percentage 426 to 429 for Andrew Vaughn. Incredible. And what was the other comp that you had, uh, Kevin? I think you brought it up uh, when was Tuesday. Maybe? Was it Alonzo? Yeah, no, that it? you said a better hitting mm. version of Pete Alonzo. It's it's crazy, too, with Vaughn. I had an article about him on Sports Mockery heading into Monday's game. But, like, two stats that, like, really jumped out at me. On the road, he owns the best batting average in the league with 408. And the next closest was Bryce Harper at 379. So it's a healthy margin. And then the second time facing a starter, he's batting 487 this year. So he's able to make adjustments on the fly and he's able to hit in hostile role dividers. That just shows you he's a mature hitter and he knows professional hitter. That's what Andrew Vaughn. He's like artificial intelligence. He's like yeah. the Terminator. He's learning every time you see someone like uh, in, in what is it? Uh, Civil War, Captain America, you know, Civil War or whatever uh, in Marvel that when Captain America is fighting Tony Stark and then the suit analyzes Tony Stark's uh, or uh, analyzes um, Captain America's fighting, fighting style or whatever, and then flips it. That's him. He basically sees everything and then processes it, hits the video, learns, adjusts and comes back. And that's, and sometimes it's, just it doesn't even have to be video. Sometimes he just guys like that. It just registers. The great players remember all of their bats. I, I'm 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 certain of that. That a photographic memory in that sense has to have an existence in there because they're just processing so much data at so much you know so fast and so at, at all at one time. It just, it has to. But whew. Mitch, what heading into the off season again? Maybe an unfair question because we don't know how the season's going to play out. But just uh, think ahead for a little bit to the offseason. The White Sox obviously have Andrew Vaughn now, who is breaking out into being the player uh, that you know smart people thought Kevin thought was going to be. Um, what do you do with Jose? Like, what kind of deal do you work for Jose Abreu? Is it like, uh, are you kind of, or are you ready to be like Andrew Vaughn's our future first baseman? 
No, you can never have too many good hitters in a line. Well, Jose Abreu, one, his importance, I think, has helped develop Andrew Vaughn. Andrew Vaughn was talking about what a great teammate he is. And that's what Jose is a great locker room guy. It's kind of like the Jason Hayward excuse to the Cubs. Well, he's a great locker room guy. The difference is like Andrew Vaughn, or not Andrew Vaughn, Andrew Vaughn does produce too. But Jose Abreu, he produces and he's been doing it ever since he's been in the league. And until he stops showing me that he can produce, that I'd put him out there. I mean, he's done, Abreu's putting his time where he's deserved that extra year or the benefit of the doubt or that extra contract with the white Sox, just because of all what he's done. He he's, he's like a 10 year first baseman at this point as fielding's still excellent Vaughn. I mean, well, it's, he's a below average defender. I think he is a sufficient outfielder to this point where you can put him out there and you're confident in what he's able to do. And he's, you know, he's still hitting at a high level when he's out there. So I, I would not, I'd keep it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. There's spots mm-hmm. you can put Andrew Vaughn. He's shown he's versatile. I would keep Jose Abreu at first base until he shows me that he can't hit anymore. Uh, by the way, hats off to Jose Abreu, who he – it's like he's going back to his prime. I think he's having his best year, like best walk rate, uh, not chasing as many pitches, obviously leading to that, still hitting the ball hard. Yeah. And this is something – that was always one of the biggest criticisms for Abreu. Like, yeah, he would hit, like, you know, 280, 290, but he'd, his on-base percentage would be lower – just because he wouldn't take walks. And now he's he's having the best walk rate of his career. So at what, like 35 years old now? Uh, great year for him. And, I'm, and yeah, that's going to be it's gonna be an interesting decision, I think, for the White Sox. Uh, again, I think they do bring him back like 100%. They bring back Jose Bray. Just kind of interesting what that contract would be uh, for him. A guy who is going to be, you know, 35, 36 years old. Um, who else on the white? Who else do you think on the White Sox could be? Obviously, there's Tim Anderson deserving for an All Star uh, appearance, probably starter. Uh, I was going to ask a general question in in sports. Obviously, MLB is I think the biggest disaster. Are you in or out on fan voting for All Star games? I only like it when it's like the last chance, like the like four guys. But otherwise, I'm out. Like the one year Omar, like they it was like all Royals. And, yeah. and Omar and Fonte almost made it. And it was, that's when I was out. I was like, all right. And he ended up getting DFA'd a couple months later too. And he was, I think he was an all-star <laughs> that year. So I am out on the, the fan voting. Uh, it was cool in the NHL when John Scott got it. That was the only time I was pro fan vote. But other than that, you know, I think it's like for the last chance guys were like, it's like, okay, these are the four on the bubble. Then, you know, then I'm fine with that. But for the starters, like Mike Trout shouldn't have gotten in last year. He was hurt. Yeah. So I, yeah, I I am out on the fan voting. <laughs> Kevin, in or out on the fan voting? Uh, you know, I like it a, a, to an extent. It's fun. Um, but I mean, the Cubs in 2016 had what? You know, they're they're you know in the Royals and like you know you're talking about. So it's it's fun to see, but it I I it, you almost got to feel like geographically there's got to be a limit on. We need to create an electoral college of all star voting. <laughs> Because, you know, you get a place like, you know, Chicago or New York or L.A. and they just blow out the ballots and vote. I mean, that the one year the Cubs had 20. I mean, there were dudes that had no business on that all-star team uh, in 2016 from the Cubs. But there were how, how many starters, you know, and, and it almost burned them because they had to play a road game in the World Series. So, you know, in game seven. So, like, you know. It helped them, Kevin. Right. They got the ring. If they were in Chicago, the ring would never come. So, there we go. They got to use DH. That's <laughs> true. That's right. Shorby, Shorb. Uh, right. Oh, they were playing. Madden was playing chess while we were playing checkers. I swear, uh, <laughs> <laughs> with Mother Nature. And so it, it, it that's, but it's a cool part of it. You know, the punch cards, Jack. That's great. Yeah, bring back the punch cards. Those were 
It's fun. <laughs> All hanging manual Chad. voting. The hanging Chad punch <laughs> cards. The, yeah. Now I maybe if there's a way to do it where the fans get like I, I like how they've done in the past, like with uh, what is it? Is it the NFL that does it? Where you get to vote in like the the last few people out, but you yeah. know the players vote for everything else at that point, you know, and you hate to take the you know the fans out of the equation, but there's gotta be a way to like include the fans, but also keep it to the best players in baseball. I don't want to see some seventh dude from like a team that's just running hot that year. That's not better than like Mike Trout or something. You know, like, fans vote on the hats they wear or something. Then they can feel involved. <laughs> and then guys aren't getting screwed over on it. Cause it also affects like contract time too. come arbitration. Yep. It looks nice when you got all-star next to your name, but you got screwed over because these assholes from New York are stuffed. In the ballot <laughs> with scrub. Like it's, it's horrible. I mean, the best part of the all-star game is the, is the, is the roster that the manager gets to choose. Yeah. That's the, that, that one actually does hit, but it's the starters that really goose you. So, you know, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think we got to take, we got to take the toy away from the children, I think right now. And that's the thing. Cause like it goes, it does go beyond just like the year to year stuff because then we, I mean, well, as sports fan, we love to debate guys who's better. And then what, what's the first thing we look at? We look at their, you know, baseball reference page. Oh, how many times were they an all-star? And then you think back and it's like, well, did they even deserve to be, then you have to do all this. Well, he was actually good this year. He didn't deserve it this year. It's the same thing with like gold glove voting. You know, when Eric Chavez was winning all those gold gloves in the 2000s, you know, White Sox, I remember White Sox fans, their biggest gripe was like, you know, Joe Creedy was better, was always better, but obviously playing, or I don't know, for whatever reason, Eric Chavez just had that reputation and like he would just get the automatic vote for a gold glove. Um, Cup fans would have voted David Bodie as a third base all star. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, it's it's ridiculous. I'm out on of, but the other thing is though, I see that's the thing. I, I it does annoy me because it does lead to you know it affects guys' money because teams will be like, well, you didn't make an all star, you're not an all star level player, whatever, whatever. Uh, but at the same time, like these all star games just don't matter anymore. I kind of did like it when they had you know World Series home field. It gave it some spice. I thought. I didn't I mind was, that part. I was the same way until I realized, like, the MLB All-Star game is the best All-Star game out of the four major sports because you can't tank in baseball and not look stupid. Like, yeah, you're not you can't gonna, not try. Yeah. Like, exactly. Like, in the NBA, you can dog it down the court. Same with the NHL. NFL, you're not going to tackle. But it's like, what, are you going to intentionally boot a ground ball? Like, you're not going to – you don't <laughs> as a pitcher, you don't want to get lit up. Like, so, like, they they all have pride in, like, you're actually playing a game where it's not like it's, like – I mean, it's an exhibition, but it's not like a cheap exhibition where it looks like a practice. It's like they, that's why the MLB All Star Game is the best one, and I found it still watchable despite the fact that there's no World Series uh, home field advantage at stake because all the guys are still trying. So it was still, I was still a very good and competitive game. Yeah, and the other reason I did bring this up is because you know I've been a fan of Ian Happ through the years. This year is his; it's been his best, you know, stretch during his career. Uh, I think before or you know entering this week or whenever the uh, first uh, the first vote totals came out, which was I think on Monday or Tuesday, you know, at the time, Ian Happ has been the second most valuable outfielder in all of the National League behind Mookie Betts. He is nowhere, but despite that, he is nowhere near the top of vote getters for outfielders, which is a shame because I mean, again, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter that much. But you still want to see your guys who actually deserve a spot get some like recognition here. Ian Happ is betting like 290, has a three, almost 390 
on base percentage he's been great and just nothing like no votes which is a shame i think um so moving on to other cup stuff kevin we keep hearing jed hoyer speak you want me to play the interview uh, real quick? I got it queued up. I can actually play it. How long yes, is it? Yes, let it rip. About a minute and 14 seconds. Yeah, let it rip. This is Jed Hoyer, David Kaplan, ESPN 1000. All right, give me one sec. Here we go. And this is from Channel 5 in Chicago. <laughs> uh, all right. No, uh, oh, Channel NBC. All right, here we go. You don't feel like the team has regressed from even last year? Uh, as far as getting to that next great Cubs team, I think this at this moment in time, I think you know, I think we're all. It, it, this is a frustrating moment in time. You know, whether we feel that way in, you know, in a month or in two months, I, I don't know. I think right now, certainly. I mean, listen, I think you know the frustration that is in your voice is probably the frustration that is in everyone's voice over the way we played. Really, I would say, you know, candidly, I, I, like I said, I, I felt like we were battling and really competing um, through Friday. Just a follow to what he's saying and you know without necessarily knowing what the timeline is does it feel further away than it did when the season started um i think i have a better answer for that later in the season i think that you know i, I don't i don't feel like we've had a chance to really get everyone on on, on the field and playing and um i think i have a better feel for that at the end of the season than i do right now i mean i like i said, i understand why you're asking that question today but um Probably a question I probably answer later in the season. No, I mean like, like listen, I'm not. I, I don't think I'm sure quoting anything. I think that you know, obviously, there's been been real frustrations that you know, um, even when I think we were we were competing and playing well, we weren't winning the games. We were we were losing one run games, and I think a lot of that at, at you know certainly up until Friday was we just weren't scoring enough. We haven't been able to pull out those games, and so yes, I, I don't I don't I don't deny that. I, I think from a record standpoint, even before this stretch, we weren't where we want to be. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm not sort of. You're asking me to make some pretty global statements based on that. And I'm, I'm, I think maybe later in the season, that's the right time, but not right now. <laughs> that nice little spot there. But yeah, that, uh, uh, that was from the weekend, I believe, uh, or right before the brave series. And then he also went on with uh, David Kaplan and ESPN 1000 on Wednesday morning. And there was the, you know, what was that quote that was going around, uh, you know, that he's, that his job is to get the next core. You know, the, the next great Cubs core. I just need Jed Hoyer to stop talking. <laughs> um, ever since, ever since like the trade deadline stuff last year, the day after when, you know, he was saying, just, I mean, just like lying for no reason and then getting called out by players like Rizzo, Bryant. Uh, I, I think I noticed that maybe his like press conference when he became the president, when he took over for Theo back in, what was it, after 2020 or in 2020? Mm. Jed Hoyer's is terrible with the media. Um, I don't know why, because he always, when he was GM, I don't remember any like dumb shit like this. I, obviously, times were good. Cubs were winning. Uh, or they had a plan, a set plan. And that's the other big issue here. There's just no set plan that uh, the Cubs have conveyed to their fans, which is the most annoying part. And I was talking about it with Kevin right before we started recording, and we've we I brought it up last week too. Uh, and I'm going to keep doing this theme because the most frustrating part about every time that Jed Hoyer speaks is you don't you don't get the confidence that they exactly know what direction what their timeline is. You know, when Theo took over after 2011, came in during the winter, told fans, "Guys, we're going to suck." 
we're going to suck for a couple years. We're rebuilding. Uh, we're going to be drafting the top five, basically. Uh, we're going to get those players. We're going to be making moves. We're going to add veteran guys that we can trade away. Uh, and you know what? This this rebuild, uh, hopefully in a few years, will be good. Obviously, you can you can argue is that the right direction the team should go. Whatever, whatever. They did that when you. But as Cubs fans, you weren't entering a season being told, oh, you know, we were trying to compete, which happened uh, throughout the summer last year during the off season. The letter from Tom Ricketts. Uh, ever since they got their fucking new marquee uh, sports network. The money's going to be there. We're going to have the resources uh, to always go after the top guys. Uh, we are going to compete in, two, in 2022. We're looking to compete. And again, as optimistic as I was, I was optimistic. I didn't think it was going to get this bad. I didn't think it was going to be that good. Uh, my optimism was, you know, if a lot of things go right, this is a 500 team. So that's still you're still talking at a very low expectation wise for a fan base, even at the most optimistic point. Uh, they have the you know you can say they have the injury excuse. Uh, four like four out of their five starting pitchers have been have missed at least two weeks. That's not great. Obviously, you're, you're, no team is going to be able to survive that in the first couple months. But again, they put themselves into that position where okay, you lose two, three, four guys. And then you have nothing to replace. Nothing. Nothing. Uh, and you put guys who maybe aren't ready to get to that point into positions where they have to come up and they don't compete. Like Kayla Killian had all the hype in the world and deservedly so because he pitched out of his mind during the Arizona Fall League, was dominant in AAA. He had you know some slight issues going deeper into games. And then he comes up. He makes three starts. The first one was with the Cardinals. He was pretty decent. And this is last. You can't throw a strike. Like, what happened? What happened there? Uh, the free aging signings for this season were bad. Were, number one, bad. <laughs> like, the like, uh, like the, uh, Daniel Norris has been, I, I think, the only reason, I think, literally, the only reason he's still on the team is because he's left handed. So, shout out to the lefties out there listening. If you could ever, uh, you know, if you ever have children, uh, t- teach them to throw a ball with their left hand because, uh, even if they're not that good, they'll have great job security if they can ever make it to, uh, to playing baseball. Uh, and then with with everything that Jed Hoyer now says, and we're going back and forth with like, is it a retool? Is it a rebuild? Are they tearing it down? Are they going for it? Now we're just talking about, well, we're going to look for the next great core. Pavlov's was, dog right there. It is Pavlov's dog. That's the new catchphrase we're looking the, for. The next the next great core. And I know oh, if, uh, oh. some fans some fans want to compare it to like the you know when Theo Epstein rebuilt with Jed Hoyer as GM. <laughs> and Kevin, you brought it up uh, you know, in 2012, their very first actually the very first draft pick terrible was Albert Omar Jr. But by 2013, they drafted Chris Bryant, which was no, no player is a guarantee, but he was pretty much as close to it as you can get. He was going to be a star player. The Cubs knew it. Everyone around baseball knew it, for the most part. I do get a kick out of fans that inadvertently give Theo and Jed credit for drafting Javi, which always cracks me up. That was Jim Hendry. Right. That was the last uh, Jed, or that was the last first rounder from uh, Jim Hendry. He stuck around for the draft. 
I feel like that's the difference between whatever this is. And let's let me out. It's a rebuild. Like we can see it. Like that's it's what it is. They can call it whatever they want. It's it's a rebuild. But that's I think what would be so frustrating for me is because back 2014, 13, you could see the pillars in place in, in the right. farm system. Like mm-hmm. you would watch the Iowa game and you'd see Chris Bryant hitting bombs, like, all right, it's coming. It's coming. now, like, who's who's the pillar? Like they traded all those guys, and there is still no one in that farm system where I'm like, this guy's gonna be a face of the franchise down the road. It's just right. a whole Killian, lot of that. Caleb Killian pitched, you know, they brought him up. That's the guy that they traded, you know, he was supposed to be a pretty good arm. He's 26 or whatever from the Giants with the KB trade. He was really throwing pretty well down in the bushes, and they brought him up, and he has been absolutely horrible. Yeah. <laughs> um now, now he's gonna he'll be a good he looks to me like a three, maybe a four. So Chris Bryant. His value inherently was for what looks like a perhaps maybe a dude that you know in Canario that maybe pans out, but probably not. He's hitting like two something there, uh, you know, yeah, low twos. Um, and you've got Killian who will be a number three. So Chris Bryan, an MVP, was traded for a number three to save some money. When this trade is all said and done, that's will be what what it really what the value will be. And that's good for Kate. Killian's solid. I mean, he's again, I'm happy to have him as a three, he'll be a good three, but he looks he doesn't look ready. He doesn't look clay. He looks a year away at least. And he was supposed to be the closest, most major league ready prospect in the system besides Brendan Davis, who's now out for the year after getting hurt. That's Which right. is, it's so sad too, for an MVP. That's what you get. Like, at least for the White Sox, when we traded like, like Jose Quintana or Chris sale, like you could tell right when they got back, like, okay, like this guy, Kopech, he's going to be a future piece. And like last year, we're like, where's the Rizzo trade? Is there anyone in there where you're like, all right, like this guy, yeah. this, this a whole Kevin Alcantara, he's a freak. See, that's the thing. That's the problem though, because he's only a single. Talked, like they, they do have, obviously, you know, prospects you're going to, you're hoping for that they work out. Right. And like, there's stuff that you can get excited about, but these guys are like 19 years old. Yeah, these guys are 19, 20 years old. Like Caleb Killing, yeah, he's like the most MLB ready, which I, again, they're like two bad starts. Fine, whatever. I, I'm not going to judge an entire guy's uh, future based on, uh, you know, five bad innings. And his, um, and his first, you know, first cup of coffee, too. Like, yeah. And then, but it's like, you know, the core of our team is like, what are the position? Well, not every team, but like, you know, what are the position players in your system going to do? Brennan Davis. I don't know if it was the injury that he had, like the he had like nerve stuff in his back, and that's what he got the surgery for. Uh, thankfully, that wasn't structural or like any disc issues. So, but he's basically out the rest of 2022. Uh, the first month and a half of him playing, he was really bad, like really, yeah. really bad. He didn't improve. Uh, and and again, that that is the Cubs' number one prospect, like a top 15 consensus consensus prospect, like through three or four publications. Still. You don't know about him. He's not. He's not a sure thing. As much as like Cubs fans like him, he's not a sure thing. Um, uh, PCA, uh, oh, Pete yeah. Crow Armstrong, the guy they got from uh, in the Javier Baez trade with the Mets. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been looking great. Yeah, he got promoted up to uh, what South Bend. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's twenty years old. Who knows? Uh, Owen Casey. You know, he had a slow start. He started to heat up. Uh, he was part of the U Jarvis trade again. He's like a twenty-year-old guy. These guys. At their peak, Ed, they're Ed, Howard. Ed Howard. Ed Howard injured. Number one draft pick, 2020. Injured. Yeah. Even the even the pieces that we thought in the major leagues, I Nico Horner is going to be a solid player. I he's hit into some bad luck, not too much. He he does hit the ball. He is hitting the ball a lot harder this year than he has before. But Nico Horner isn't at the level where. 
he's only taking like he has a two percent walk rate. He's not that good of a hitter to just refuse to walk. He has a lower walk rate than Javier Baez. That's not good. And yes, I get it. he's in 280. This is great. He, his on um, base percentage is like barely creeping above 300. Loves defense at multiple positions, but he needs to be better. Nick Magical has been injured and he's been bad. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the biggest thing with him, he just needs to stay healthy. Um, and then there's no, and then there, you know, Christopher Morell had a great three weeks and he's come back to earth, which is cool, but it's fine. We, we never expected this. Letter. I'm not going to lie. I saw Christopher Morell one time in spring training. I made a comment about his arm. That's all I knew about him. So this is just a complete brand new surprise, but it's great. You love mm-hmm. to, you love to see it. You need those guys who pop up out of nowhere, who have the tools. But besides that, like who else gets you excited, Kevin? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> besides uh, Gary Busey, um, I think Ian, Cubs- like Ian, Ian Happ is their best player. Besides, like oh, <laughs> their best player, Wilson Contreras is most likely going to get traded within the next month. Yep. I mean, Ooh. obviously, Nico makes me happy always. Um, mm-hmm. I love watching Nico work, so that's always a pleasure. I, you know. I'm so tired of the Patrick Wisdom roller coaster, so it's exhausting because it's just it's just, it is what it is. He's you know he's a he's a guy that shows up to 25 percent of the time, and when he does show up, like today, holy shit! And then he's gone 75 percent of the time. So it just it's not commit to measure with the winning team. Uh, so that's not that's not as fun for me to enjoy. It's fun watching tape measure shots on occasion, but it's it's like watching a beer league softball player play. It's home run or nothing. So that's not exactly enjoyable. You know, Seiya Suzuki brought a lot of joy. It was great until he got hurt. So, like, that was really fun for, for you know, that that was like, oh, there's one drop on this roller coaster? That's all we get? It was one <laughs> drop? It was like, like a, a, a kiddoland. The Cubs are like kiddoland now. Yeah. Defunct like, amusement was, park. Familiar. Santa's <laughs> Village out near uh, Elgin. Uh, um, but, uh, it, it, you know, obviously Nico makes – it's always enjoyable to watch Nico. You know, I was excited for Killian coming up. Um, you know, it's mm-hmm. been fun watching – Wilson play and I I mentioned this on the Tainted Glove actually Monday night because Jumper our, our guy Jumper came on with me and we were talking about absence you know addition by subtraction and and that the way that Wilson Contreras has played this year after last year we you know obviously being a little privy to some of the stuff that was going on it wasn't it wasn't really pretty in that locker room heading into the All Star break I mean a certain somebody smashed a television set with a bat a bat things got so bad after a miserable loss on the Sunday or was it the Saturday before? Cause it got rained out on that Sunday. I think uh, yeah. the Saturday before the all-star break, it was brutal. Um, and you know, there was a part of the equation that, that preyed on Wilson's like Wilson was almost, it felt like Wilson was being used as like the, uh, the weapon, so to speak in, in that kind of whatever was going on in that clubhouse. And when you, you know, you cleaned out the clubhouse, Wilson is now being Wilson on his own without anybody influencing them and kind of rubbing them and saying, you're going to take that shit. You're going to take that shit, bro. You know, like, you know, egging him on now he's not, and he's had a fantastic season. He's been, I've really enjoyed either last year. He drove me nuts a little bit and I've really enjoyed watching Wilson Contreras play this entire season. It's been, it's, you know, across the board. He's, he, you know, it's, it's, if the Cubs do consider themselves as contending over the next two seasons, they would sign him. He would be extended. That's, you know, it's stupid. You don't let a guy like that, especially at his age, behind the dish. That is such a valuable. But now, if he's a DH, he's not as valuable as a catcher. But as a catcher, putting up those numbers, it, you can't find much better value anywhere in baseball. That, that's that's what that puts him in the top two or three catchers alive right now. And so, I don't know. Uh, 
it's been fun watching this. So, you know, Nico, him, those have been great. You know, Frank Schwindel's fun too, though, just because he's Frank. Yeah, and you brought up Seiya Suzuki, and that was that's the another annoying part. And it goes again, it goes back to just the lack of uh, like again, I don't need Jed Hoyer to be telling me every single move that he's planning, not planning. I don't need to know the exact blueprints of what what the what his plan is. But but and again, at the end of the day, none of this really matters. You know, actions speak louder than words. You know, we said the same thing. Like when there was the rumors of like, oh, they are going to be spending. It's like, well, you can do all the talking in the world, or you have to walk the walk too, right? Um, so at the end of the day, yeah, it's just as a fan, it's just annoying hearing Jed Hoyer talk about just being wishy washy about what they're going to do because it, it, it is a rebuild. Uh, you know, the early it, right now, it seems the earliest they're going to contend is, you know, 2024. So, and that would be what year three of Seiya Suzuki's contract. Mm-hmm. So and Stroman really, would be gone. <laughs> yeah, Stroman would be in his last year of his if deal. He's still around. If he if doesn't he, opt out. If he doesn't opt out. So, like, what was the point of those signings? Like, <laughs> you know, well, we know now what they were. They were optic signings. They, I mean, Seiya probably not as much. But Strowman was like a, hey, look, we're trying. Remember, they tried to sell Simmons as a, we're trying sale. When they see, signed, no, I don't think so. See, that's the thing. Uh, I don't. Out his glove, and and they kind of just try to like wash over Wait. the fact that he is a two hundred hitter at best. No, I don't think everyone knew because uh, everyone knew he's bad. He's just a backup. Uh, that, what annoyed me that day was that that's the day we knew it's like okay, well, they're not they're not going after Carlos Correa because I think it was like a couple hours later. That's when there was like we were getting the reports from uh, uh what was that guy's name? Uh the Univision guy, I forget his name, Mike something when you know the oh, guy man. who's all in on the Carlos Correa oh. and the Cubs reporting, and like a few hours later he's like, Yeah, the Cubs aren't gonna offer Carlos Correa what he wants. They're out. <laughs> it's like, all right, cool. Um and remember the Cubs used the excuse there. Remember they said it was they gave him an offer and then he changed agents and it got lost in the shuffle and they never revisited it. Yeah. That is weird to me because I mean, I sent an email to somebody about like, hey, you know, you know, can you, uh, you know, when can I come pick something or I don't know, something like, can you, can you uh, update the website for us for our, you know, whatever, for our, our program? Mm-hmm. If I haven't heard from them in a day, I'm like, follow up. Hey, bud, just wondering if you got the email, just double checking. You know, you, you send a follow up. If a guy gets a new agent, you also send him a fucking fruit basket or something. And then you say, hey, by the way, this is what we were kind of, we'll change the contract offer. Because you know, but that was the Cubs. That was the Cubs' whole thing. Is that the Cubs used that as an excuse that they really were never in? He they knew he wanted ten, so they offered him seven. You know, he knew that he was not coming down from that ten. They offered him seven. It was a seat at the table, as Mister Hand likes to say. And and speaking of close career, after his slow start, he's been phenomenal for the Twins. I think he had two more home runs uh, against Cleveland mm-hmm. Wednesday. Um, and I mean, he's going to be opting out again. So. And that's the, the, you know, Aaron Judge is going to be a free agent. Like, there's going to be Trey Turner. Like, there's going to be guys that the Cubs Uh can take. And even if they're in a rebuild, Uh because I think back to the San Diego Padres in the the 18-19 offseason, Manny Machado signed for $300 million on a, you know, I think a, a bad San Diego team at the time. But they still went out to do it. Why? Because you get a generational talent. Because you would think that within the time of his contract, you're going to compete at some point, right? That should be your plan. So the Cubs have zero excuse. And I hate that fans will give them the leash of like, oh, well, they're not ready to win now. Why would they Why would they go sign well, X uh, free agent? Like, no. You only get so many shots at guys. 
be aggressive because if you're signing Carlos Correa, you're signing him for like a minimum eight-year deal. Are you telling me that you're not, during those eight years, during the first half of that contract, you're not going to be ready to compete? Then what's the point of you running things? There's two things that would really concern me, and it would be disheartening if I was a Cubs fan. Number one was when Jed and Theo initially took over, like we were not supposed to be back at this stage that quickly. Like 2016 was nice, but like this should not have fallen apart as quickly as it did. And it looks Mm -hmm. like they have no plan. And there was one thing, and Jed was on um, Cap and Jay Hood this morning, and it was a whole lot. Like, there's so I I don't think I've seen many people that talk so much and give you like so little. Like he loves to hear himself talk, and it's just like nothing. It's like a bunch of word salad. Uh, but like the one thing he did say that I took away from it, he's like, well, you know, I'm confident that when it's time to spend, the money's going to be there, like it was in 2015. And I don't know if it will be because the landscape's completely changed. Because now. Uh, you got oh, Ricketts who just bought out all of Wrigleyville. He has the hotel. He's buying soccer teams. Like, is he? He seems content with the one World Series they have. I don't know if they're gonna have the money to be there. I don't have a whole lot of faith in their ownership. Doesn't seem like they have much of a direction they want to go. Uh, so I would be, I would that would be if I was a couple of that. That's where I'd be really concerned because even when it does come time to spend, are, are they gonna have that money to spend? How much money are they gonna get? Because Ricketts had biblical proportions, losses of biblical proportions. So. <laughs> Well, here's a kicker too. Correa says, you know, you know, he wanted 10 last year. So minus one, he's going to want nine. (laughs) If you want someone you offer them, if if you actually want to sign somebody, you don't play that stupid game. You give them nine and then you figure it out, you know, in a couple of years, Carlos Correa is not going to age as poorly as a Jason Hayward in this sense. He's going to be a guy that's going to age more like, uh, what's his name in, you know, um, in, Detroit more so than he's going to, you know, he's going to age. Cabrera. His, huh? Pardon? Cabrera. Yeah. Cabrera. He's going to age like Miggy. He, he, he's going to, he'll eventually transition down to a DH, but this is a DH world. Now he can, he can play a couple seasons. I mean, look at Chris Bryant. I'll say this right now. Chris probably will play left field for two seasons, probably move to first base after th- those two seasons for three. And then his final two seasons of his career and that the end of this contract, he's going to probably be a DH for the most part. That's perfect for that. Those, Big boppers, that's what they're going to be able to swing it no matter how old they get. And even if they get a little bit chubby out of shape, they still swing it. It's the defensive stuff. You could just start pulling them out of that stuff. And, you know, at the end of these contracts, it's fine to have a guy like that. I would be fine with a DH that hits 30 jacks a year, you know, is a, is a great guy, good, you know, has good at bats, can help guys around him because he's a, a hitting savant, like, like I'm sure Korea is as far as a teammate. His teammates all love him. So you've got a guy that is loved by his teammates in that clubhouse. So, I mean, if you want them, pay them. Don't worry about the back end of things because the back end of things isn't nearly as dangerous for National League teams as they used to be. You're not stuck with a guy that has to play defense somewhere and you throw him at first base. Whereas American League teams, you guys are used to dealing with this. National League teams aren't. This is a new new thing. I mean, this is why a guy like Schwarber never should have been DFA, you know, it's, or uh, non-tendered. You know, it's, it's a new, it's a brave new world for the game. And I think that these contracts do age well now. You're not stuck with that if they, you know, if they're a swinger. Correa is a swinger. Yeah. And like uh, th- that's why I hate it too when you know guys do get big contracts and like the the team goes on to not win that you put the blame or you know generally fans will put the blame and like oh well you know he got the big deal and then they didn't win uh, that's a bigger indictment on you know ownership the the front office they just stopped they, they just stopped. they, they did the one big signing and they're like yeah, all right they one with them. yeah that that's yeah that's very true pay them heavy early in their contract as well. 
Don't screw around. Pay them for the years that they have value. Stop backending the money and allow those guys to have pretty cheap contracts at the tail end of their time. So it's not an albatross around your neck later when they maybe have less of the value than they have today when they're in their prime. And that's the thing. Like it's even if, you know, if a guy signs a, whoever it is, if the guy signs like a, uh, let's say an eight year deal, right? He's 28 years old. So, you know, having through when he's through 36 hmm. from 28, you know, those first, you know, five years from 28 through 33, at some point you should be competing. You should be making moves around that player, whatever it is, either other free agents, trades, just good scouting, drafting. You should be able to put a solid group around your star players that you that by the time you are competing. So when you do get into year, you know, six, seven, eight of the deal and the players on his decline, hopefully you won a championship. So it doesn't seem as bad. It can't that, be that a tsunami. Goal always. It has to be the ocean's regular waves, not a damn tsunami. That's the, you 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 want it coming in waves. You and then this is where they fucked up, and this is what their their mistakes in the mid to you know 2016, 17, 18 with their drafts. I mean, Jed's draft, you know, the draft's been poor for the Cubs. I mean, their first round pick in 2019, Ryan Jensen's still, you know, can't get out to, at, at the you know at midway through the the you know, he's at, what is he at double A right now and he's just getting lit. I mean, he's again, he's a guy he's how old is he? Uh, 25 now. I mean, come on. I mean, this is a, these draft picks aren't hitting as well. So they didn't draft well. And so, because when you don't draft well, you have to then now sell your actual talent that's already here and now and get talent that somebody else properly scouted and vetted that have the talent that you need to actually succeed. So it's unfortunately, it's, you know, they've drafted like crap. And so this is why people talk, you know, I've heard this a lot too. Oh, the Cubs are losing. They're going to get like a top three pick. I don't trust Jed with a top three pick. I don't know. No, I need him to like take. Yes, yeah, so he has to, to prove himself. Yeah. No other choice but to take the best available that is the consensus. Best available. He has been, he's missed and he's swung and he's missed and he's swung and he's missed. And it's, you know, this year. And I'm going to, you know, I know that Zoe loves this is when he, you know, picked up Jordan Wicks over uh, Colson Montgomery. Jordan Wicks is, you know, youth pastor down at single A, still struggling, even though he's a college guy. And the high school kid is what it just so how many times 30 straight games he's gotten on base. So that uh 30 some odd straight games Montgomery has gotten on base. So like he 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 passed over that for uh you know the 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 Toby Maguire Spider-Man. Yeah, no, I mean uh, the previous feelings, like the reason they are in this again, they're in this position because they chose to. They could have done moves this past offseason. That's my biggest gripe. The you know last year with the trades, it sucks that the timing was that you had those three guys all being free agents near the end. So you know you either had to do whatever your choice was going to be. Fine, I hated it, but they did it. They they didn't half-ass it. They traded all three guys. They got as much talent as they could. Fine, I hated it, but they didn't half-ass it. They could have still done things this off season, short-term deals that could benefit them in two thousand twenty-two in 2023 without you know uh, blocking other guys because again they're all young they're like 19 20 year old guys who are maybe going to be up best case scenario in 2024 it and and then they they just they just set themselves up to fail again it was like last year 2021 the cubs i know that they had the that 11 game losing streak with like the guys before they traded them that group was set up to fail since the day they traded you Darvish. They traded their best pitcher 
and replaced him with Zach Davies. And then they signed Jake Arietta, Trevor Williams, and like, all right, guys, here's our starting rotation. Survive, make the playoff, or compete. Like uh, they, they, Tanya Harding, the Cubs, just uh, lead pipe to the kneecap because they were done like once the season started because the pitching was never going to hold up because they didn't have the talent. They didn't have the depth. They were never going to succeed in that situation. So it's the same thing with 2022. They were basically, they had to have zero injuries and like five guys perform at like the 90th percentile of their projections to succeed. And obviously we haven't had that. Well, and look at what the Dodgers do and the Dodgers spend a ton. They do. And they, you know, but they also drafted their own talent while also winning. When you look at their, you know, in 2015, the Dodgers were good. When you look at their, you know, Walker Bueller, Matt Beatty, uh, see here, you got Victor Gonzalez. I mean, Gavin Lux was 2016. Dustin May was 2016. I mean, Jock was 2010. Edwin Rios, Corey Seager, you know, Will Smith was 2016. And some of those guys, obviously, they were part of the trade. I think, didn't they draft Vertigo or no? They traded for Vertigo. Yeah. And so, Boston for somebody. Mookie, right? Yes. Part of the Mookie. So they even used a couple of those that they drafted well with. So they were able to actually use talent that came up to the big team, but they also were, they drafted enough talent that they could use still some of that talent as draft capital. Ooh, ooh, ooh. We have some breaking socks news. Uh oh. Now, this is good. So we had a question earlier, you know, when is Gilbert Sanchez coming up? It doesn't seem like Gilbert Sanchez is going to be the move. We have this tweet 10 minutes ago. Uh, Lenyon Sosa is on the move to 35th and Shields. As his Canapolis oh. host family, we are extremely proud. So Lenyon Sosa, Len, Lenyon, how am I saying that? Len, Lenyon Sosa, he at AA, not in the starting lineup Wednesday night, Reportedly, according to his Canapolis uh, host family, is going to the, is moving up to the White Sox. How about Breaking that? We, we touched upon him we from the host him last week. Yeah, the host Lenin. family dropping the bomb. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Lenny and Sosa. Let's get a quick uh, scouting report on. Oh man, I he, am. He's got a stud this name. year. Like it. Not only yeah. is he hitting for average, he's got fourteen home runs too. Like the, he's been sneakily probably the best. About Montgomery's been very solid too, but he—you could argue—he's been the best player in the farm system mm-hmm. this season. Hey, so that's—it's a big injection into like that little woo. That that's that should be a little bit of a like a um, a boost of adrenaline for the. Uh, you know soccer. what? I'd be surprised if it was a short stint too. I feel like you make you call a guy up from Double A like that. That could be. Uh, he he. Could I mean, be, this reminds me. This reminds me of like the Morel uh, calling up from Double A. Yeah, no, it almost feels like he could, he's going to be there to stay, especially if he hits well early on. Because I don't think you're going to call up a guy from Double A like that if it's just for while well, Danny Mendix. Or I think so. Sosa, twenty two years old, uh, six foot shortstop, middle, plays at middle infield. His two thousand twenty two sets, as you mentioned, unbelievable. Two hundred fifty seven at bats this year, hitting three thirty one with fourteen home runs. A 9.33 OPS. Uh, so he's uh, again, according to his Canapolis, uh, his previous host family, uh, Lenyon Sosa is going to be called up and join the White Sox. Good for Rick Hodd, though. I didn't think he'd have the balls to do it, but that—that that, I think that's a—that's that, a good move by an aggressive, yeah, an aggressive out. move. 
you know, obviously Sox have their their scouts, you know, who keep an eye on the farm, their own scouts, internal scouting. And I mean, this guy's having a monster year. Perfect time for him. Uh, facing a, you know, not so strong, obviously not so strong Baltimore team. Mm-hmm. So pretty good landing spot. Can ease his way in. Man. Yeah, get a little confidence early. That's so exciting. So it's not Yilbert Sanchez. I get. I don't know how he was doing at AAA, uh, but obviously the White Sox saw something better in Sosa, and he's getting the call now. Power kind of sucks for Danny Mendick, but no. I between him and Yilbert, uh, power's the big difference. Is Yilbert yeah. is strictly for average. It's, he, this guy's got some pop. 14 home runs for middle infielder at this point and double a too. And double a is not a whole lot of scrub. Like the best pitching as we've talked about in the show tends to be in double a. So uh, yeah. pretty good numbers for the, for the 22 year old there. All right. So, all right. Something exciting after a tough, tough injury day for the white Sox, but uh, looks like it's going to be so up. All right. Uh, I think they do have to make a 40 man move or a uh, 40 man roster. Maybe. Um, but yeah, a lot of people hyped up for him, so that's great. Maybe it'll be. I'm guessing he's probably Friday. It'd probably be his first game, is what I would guess, because Tony likes to. I know he's done this with guys in the past. Is he'll put him in as like a pinch runner late in a game before he gives him the debut the next game. So we'll see. I hope he's in the lineup tomorrow. But I, if I had to bet, I think Friday would be our first appearance seeing him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so more stats here 403 weighted on base percentage or uh, on base average 141 WRC plus. Again, that's all with the Birmingham Barons, double A for the White Sox. Uh, right handed hitter improved his walk rate, strikeouts going down, and again, the 14 home runs in a, a huge ballpark, uh, down at double A at home, at least in his home games. Uh, so no uh, no cheapies down there for Sosa. Great for him. Great for the – I mean, again, sucks for Dandy Mendick. Seems like he's going to be out for at least the 10-day IL for him. Uh, but the White Sox get uh, a look at one of the, I guess, new newcomer, newcomers in terms of, you know, a breakout season uh, down in the minors for the White Sox. Kevin, predict mm-hmm. now – Sosa's first home run. Let's do a tattoo bet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has a home run. Zoe's got to get a tattoo of me on his lower back. Now. Um, yes. Him, I mean, well, I mean, weird things happen. Maybe he'll come out of his shoes on the first pitch that he sees and do it in his first at bat, but give him a second. But, I mean, the guy's swinging it well. It's AAA. It's not not a mat. You know, it's going to be the back end. He sees the back. If he sees the back end of a bullpen, I'd say it's probably one of his – and a bat later on in the ball game, if he's going to do it for the first time. So like maybe, you know, maybe game one or game two, but usually sometime beyond the fifth inning. Yeah. I feel, I, I don't know why, but I maybe I mean, there's like more, obviously more media coverage now for just around the league, but I feel like, uh, you know, rookies getting their first home run, like their first at bat happens at a like far greater rate for whatever reason. Feels like, right. It's like Morel had his, you know, Contreras, Contreras, his first one. Jason Hayward. Cup. Hayward off Zimbrano. Yeah, those are just like three off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, so exciting stuff. Oh, White Friday, Bradish is pitching for the Orioles with his 738 ERA. There you go. There, that's, 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 your money, that's your money day? It's Fridays? He was pitching Saturday. 
Saturday. Maybe uh, maybe drop that uh, today. I think he's gonna start first. Oh, to be determined. Maybe a home run prop bet for for so home run prop bet. Yeah, if he start if he's in the lineup Friday, got Bradish. That could be yeah. That's that's the day I I hammered the Sosa home run. All right. So again, break news. Let man, I can't say his name for shit. Lenyon. What do you get? L E N Y N. Yeah. Lenyon Sosa coming up for the White Sox. Am I am I reading too much into this? By the way, a total side note. Um, Ian Happ was pulled tonight. Blow no up. reason. Right after two at bats. Are the Cubs putting him in bubble wrap a little bit? Uh, He's next uh, hey, the, this is a left fielder in baseball right now or in the National League. Is I he with the bubble wrap treatment? Did he just I can't, enjoy? I can't you know what? It Honestly, like, do you see Ian Happ being a part of the next wave of a championship contending team? I think you just go all in and you sell them all off. I would trade Strowman. I would trade Hendricks. I would trade Contreras at this point. Just go all in, get as many guys. Because that's an unwatchable product as it is right now. It's but, not even like there's no hope there. They got no up and coming. Like, I'm glad you brought that up, Mitch, because that's the other thing. It's not just the the choices that they make of like, is there good or bad that they're they are doing a rebuild. It's, it's just call it what it is, like you said. As Kevin has brought up a lot of the times, the Cubs have the most expensive ticket to go to a baseball game. Yeah, like the Cub fans do not deserve this bullshit of you know, paying the most to go to watch a triple A team. Is, so that's that's the other. Yeah, but you get to uh, make a cup snake out in the bleachers, so it's fun. <laughs> hey, Look. White Sox fans love that too. <laughs> Jordan I Miller really loves it. Wave. I cannot stand either of them. The cup <laughs> snake is so overrated, Ugh. especially the wave, and it's like a. Oh yeah, well, Mitch, game. Mitch, you, oh, I mean, you're we're a freak all, creature. We're all rolling with the with the wave. With yeah, the you're wave a freak creature of a Sox game. Well, what happened? I feel like why is that? Why is the wave a thing at Sox games? I don't know. Too many Cub fans are moving uh, over to the yeah, South. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's not blame. No. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, the biggest moment of the game. It was Antifa. Swear. Antifa did it. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't us. Did you, what would you rather have, uh, Mitch? The wave or the Cub snakes? Oof. Ooh. That's tough. Be like, yeah, Sox. If you go to a Sox game, they do the. I always see more cup snakes on my Snapchat feeds and like Instagram. So that I'd probably get rid of the cup snake first. Like everyone <laughs> always has to post a damn photo of the cup snake. It's like we get it. You're drinking a lot of beer. All right, you here to hear first, cup Mitch, snake. number one wave fan. It's crazy that the cup snake really kind of blew up, especially like at least nationally during a pandemic. When there's so many bodily fluids that are just popping out of those cups too, it's just—is that what happened? I thought it was 2019. I mean, but it—it it really it kept popping. Like since we've come back, they've—they've—that's mm, true. Really been plugging it nationally. I've seen it more on. I think I've seen it more on TV. Where I'm like, oh, that's just gross. But you know, Even fan, how you want a fan? TV. Just don't do the wave. Did you guys watch first things on TV? That Sunday night game with the stupid home run trade with that ball. Oh my, god. Uh, oh my god that was that was some of the worst television i think i've ever watched like that was so <laughs> bad if there's, a, if there's not an update on this sunday night broadcast i'm gonna be very disappointed like how is the kid doing it's been a week now he's seven days older and he still has the jersey that he got signed and 
Mitch, mm. how, how do you like this uh, new wave of attention? Of, you know, uh, Obviously, the White Sox are better now. They get more national TV games. Don't you love it? I thought I would like it. I'm like, all right, Sunday night baseball. And then I realized how bad the broadcast is for it. It's like, ugh. Uh, welcome to the the 10 percenters. You get to have to actually pay attention to Alex Rodriguez sometimes. Is it Boo? Is it I'll be honest. I have not tuned into a Sunday night baseball game since like 2019. I have it on mute. So like I don't listen. Like I even think I remember specifically. I think it wasn't too, when. When was the last season of Game of Thrones? Twenty nineteen. Yeah. That summer. Yeah. Uh, I, I think. Yeah. I think for like a stretch there, I like I just didn't watch a good portion of like whenever the Cubs were on Sunday night because you know Game of Thrones was on, and I didn't miss it. <laughs> so I, I think ever since then I got used to just not tuning yeah, in. Yeah, they, it's tough. I think the only thing worse is the Apple TV broadcast. Like those are actually like those are rough. Those, those are, are rough. The the broadcasters, the tech, everything else about the broadcast yeah. for on Apple yeah. is freaking fantastic, except for the actual on-air personalities. Like it's rough. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Apple will be the one that actually does listen to our suggestion, Aldo, and actually mics up all the different players at every oh, position and puts mini cams on every position player so that you can actually go to different camera feeds and see it from their POV at any point and uncensored without any edits so they can you can hear all the swears and everything it'd be great apple would be yeah. cool. fox didn't they, mind when they had liam hendrix mic'd up like all those swears right. clear, so you know i want Send. that i want that uncensored i just want that exactly. so bad i want to hear the dominican swearing in left field when yeah. the starter walks and like oh yeah that'd be or just yeah. talking shit when they talk shit to each other like on a double play ball like you could actually hear both mics like bitch you out go back or like you that know that is that is missing. one of the things Great. That is one of the things I do miss, like in terms of like the broadcast. Like it kind, of, it was really weird, obviously with no fans. But during 2020, when you can hear the players, oh, like, yeah. talking shit on the field, like that was great. Like I remember the few times the Cubs, like uh, the Brewers, were getting mad at the Cubs because like they kept talking shit during games, and it's like, yeah, like we do this every every game. You're just hearing us more because there's no one in the in the stands. That was um, awesome. That's what I loved. That was the only redeeming thing of when the White Sox are terrible. I remember one day there was a doubleheader against the Astros, and we came for the first game. I was going to both of them. The one was like a one o'clock on like a Wednesday, and Zach Granke was pitching, and he's loud to begin with. But that stadium was empty. You could hear everything he said, and it was awesome. I loved it. <laughs> By the way, Mitch, before we get out of here, you mentioned how uh, you used to do some umpire work. Do you have a crazy parent story or oh. coach story or any crazy umpiring umpire story? Nothing like too The worst was that I, my mask broke on like a foul ball. And it was one of oh, those shit. games where it was like seven innings, but if like there was no whites on the field. So if it got to a certain point where you couldn't see, like the game was over. And so like yeah. I was trying to adjust the mask because I couldn't get on. And like the strap was just like, it was fucked. So like I'm working with the strap and the parent was accusing me of like stalling for time. Like, oh, <laughs> so like that was like a whole thing. Um, so that was pretty bad. I'm trying to think any other like crazy ones. This is a lot of verbal abuse you get because everyone's kid's gonna be you know getting a college scholarship to play. You don't want to <laughs> roll their batting average by missing a call on the outside corner. But um, yeah, you just kind of after a while you just kind of learn to block it out. I I tended to have I I never threw anyone out, which I would kind of <laughs> wanted to. I probably should have thrown four people out. But I, I let a lot slide. Kevin, just, I don't think I've ever. Kevin, I don't think I've ever asked you. Like, what? What's like the craziest like parent parenting is? 
<laughs> Excluding actually, Mike Bryant, what's the crate? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I could write a book. I, I've actually, I've actually written multiple chapters of a book actually that I have on my hard drive. I kid you not. Um, <laughs> I have so many stories with ape shit, crazy parents. Um, some of them are like you, you can't even believe. I mean, I've had, I've had parents at the at the you know the banquet, the you know the senior banquet or not the senior banquet, but the the team banquet. Um, that was a, a police officer. Uh, a detective here with our, our, our Metro and he uh, him and his wife got hammered drunk. And after it was over, um, walked up to me and, and put the handshake out, put the handshake out like to shake my hand. So that's obviously a sign of like peace. I take, that's what I, I'm like, sweet. You know, I didn't get along with these parents. I didn't, I struggled them the whole time. They were a pain in my ass. Uh, and you know, I was like, you know what? Good. We can like not burn a bridge, say goodbye. And I shake his hand. He pulls me in close. Cause you're going to fucking rot in hell. <laughs> fuck you you son of a bitch i'm like what the hell and i'm like you guys reek like they smelled like a you know a cabinet of of jack and i'm like dude and then one of our you know our our senior you know captain who was going to you know he was our division one player on our team runs over and he's like he started he he splits it up and i had to hold him back actually it was pretty funny i'm like no 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 and i pulled him back i'm like that's just how you know people so that's some people just how you say goodbye tells you everything man that's how they say goodbye and then they walked out hammer drunk and uh Handed the valet their car keys and uh, drove on home. Jeez. So that was one. I, I mean, I've had a multiple ones. I've had, you know, I've had one fight. You know, we're at Bonanza. We had a. It wasn't me specifically. Like I wasn't. I wasn't the problem. I was actually the the, the peacekeeper. But in a summer game, uh, the co- coach for Gorman, his name's Gino. He's a monster. Like the dude's a, just a beast. Like I would not mess with him. I love going out and hanging out with him because no one messes with us because he's just a freaking shit house, like a brick house. Like he's awesome. And he doesn't take like, shit. You, know, you kind of have to be like that. Yeah. Just how, but yeah. <laughs> and his longtime family, his, his, his dad is a well-respected gentleman here in Vegas. He has, his, his dad and my papa knew each other. My papa worked at security at the Riv and they knew each other. So awesome little connection. He, you know, the Fertitas and, and, and all the guys, Dana White and all those guys at Gorman, they all went to high school together. So he's, he's a big guy. Anyway, we had a game in the summer and our, you know, our 2013 parents were awesome. Like I love them to death. Like they were like, some of my favorite parents of the parents that we had come through our program, but they were mouthy. Like they were mouthy, like, but they were funny mouth. They talk shit like a lot. And you know, they were very hot headed sometimes. And, and, uh, one of the games, Gino finally lost his shit in a, it was a hot summer day too. He was going to fight like six of the parents. The parents were like, after he was like, wait for me in the parking lot. And I'm like, and so I'm like, all right, how do I get this? How do I even break? Cause he beat the shit out of all five. Like he would have won the fight. He would have won the fight. Like, I don't give a shit. And that's why I finally walked over to the parents and go, guys, knock this shit off. I go, you know, let him leave or you guys leave. Cause I'm just, I love you guys to death. You're awesome. I swear to you. I'm, but I'm going to be straight with you. He's going to beat the shit out of all five of you. You're all going to not walk away from this. That's where he's coming from. Cause I know what he can do. He's, he's, there are stories. So I feel like uh, that scene from South Park with Randy Marvin. What are those Americas? Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <crap out of mind. laughs> so that was good. And they, they obviously made up like, again, Gino's cool. Like he's like, you know, all right, fine. Like, he cooled down too. Like, but it was, there was a moment where I thought I was going to like go out and see like some sort of John wick moment where he's just like, <laughs> like, like Batman beating up like a bunch of criminals. Um, so that was, you know, there's, I, I could go on and on cause there's, there's too many, but with umpires, I mean, last night it was kind of funny. We ran into Phil, one of our, uh, one of the, he's the, I think the head of the umpire association here is, uh, he works at the aviator stadium. Cause I went to go see Chris play last night on his rehab assignment with the, uh, I think Al- Albuquerque, they were the, they're the mariachis last night. So it was Brad uniforms and hats, but, um, 
he's working there too. He works at um, like customer customer relations or whatever. And he, we see him we're like, hey, you know, we're to, hey Phil, what's up? You know, because he's usually you know he's a home plate ump too, and you know he doesn't he doesn't mess around either. And we're, <laughs> we walked away and we're like, uh, so do you think Phil recognized us? And my buddy's like, what? I go, shit. He goes, what? I'm. I go, I know he fucking heard us. He just can't see us because that's pretty much how he was an umpire. Like he's just he, rabbit ears and he missed a lot of calls. So we're like, you know, you could say, nah, hell no. And he'd hear you in the dugout, like in the corner, like Fiddler, I heard that. I'm like, ah, shit. like always catching me. So those are, the, we have umpire stories too. So there's lots. I can tell you about the umpire that was drunk on uh, drunk umpiring a game that we lasted probably to 1130 at night. <laughs> oh my goodness. Michael McDougal, Mike McDougal will tell that story. Tanner was there for that one. Book. I, I will be the first. Oh to buy one once it's the show. And if I borrow stories from other coaches, I mean, just it could be a, an anthology of holy hell. Like there it's it's almost too unbelievable as a coach, you know, coach 16 years. Yeah, I was with that how many years in the game, Kevin. 16 as as a coach, yeah. So I mean, and you know, before that as a media member covering it too. So I saw it, you know, heard it from the I was like the imaginary guy that like was hiding in the bleachers, no one knew who the hell I was. So I got to hear everything. <laughs> you know, I was like fly on the wall. So that was I got to hear crazy oh yeah so there's some some great anecdotal stories though but or the time i had a player try to skip practice told me that uh, he didn't feel good he actually pooped himself a little i actually said that in the text i'm like that's a little too much information there but you could have just said i'm not feeling good coach you had to tell me you had to tell me you shit your pants thanks who is it oh man what's his name what's his name damn it from kansas city oh uh, george brett george, george brett sowers <laughs> his pants yeah right in Vegas, nice yeah. steak dinner. Funny George Brett story. The oh. golf course I uh, work at, they have like a bunch of like their caddies there, and the caddies are kind of idiots. Chicago golf uh, in Wheaton, but George Brett was there one day, and the guy, the caddies, like he's caddying for him, had no idea who it was. So afterwards, like George Brett's like, "Oh, do you want like an autograph or like picture or something?" And the guy's like, "No, why the hell would I want that?" <laughs> They're like, "You idiot, that was George Brett, the Hall of Famer." So here's the best uh, one. This, this version of it's the best. On both hands, right side. Oi, 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 guys, here's your left side. I shit my pants last night. 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 I did. Fucking shit my pants. I had a great meal. Just a great fucking meal. I had to go to the bathroom so bad. Fucking shit my pants. I had a great meal. Just a great fucking meal. I had to go to the bathroom so bad. Fucking shit. Fucking shit my pants. So, yeah, that's just great stuff right there. I just. What a phenomenal remix. It was really good. Like, yeah, but yeah, he tells that story. But that's what, that's why we need to mic up the baseball players because I need to hear the banter and then I need to hear because you. Guys, let's be honest. It would kind of mess with. Maybe they do need to turn it off in the dugout on the feeds because that is kind of the sanctum of it. But the stories that you hear in a dugout are just fantastic, and especially dudes like that, they tell stories so well. You have to be a good storyteller to be in the dugout, especially for like coaches and old timers. You've got to be able to tell a story. You've got to be able to like keep everybody entertained because, man, sometimes it gets doldrum and gets just kind of like through the motions, and something's got to break up the monotony, especially when it's hot outside and everyone's tired. I agree with you. Like, I don't know, make it, I, I don't know, release a compilation video, sell DVDs. I don't care. Like, do something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
uh, muffle their like edit edit the voices. I don't know. To, to people can't tell who it is. I don't know, but that'd be great. You know, just the kind that little story it was just like off. They're like practicing. Yeah, stretching. Just like yeah, he's just off inside telling a coach the story. Stretch stories are great too. Yeah, I mean that's the best time. Like all that. That's. <laughs> They just got to make sure that they, as soon as they hear the word cleat chaser, they need to make sure they mute um, <laughs> or slump busters mute, <laughs> protect the image and maybe some marriages. So uh, <laughs> Cubs won Wednesday night, 14 to five. Uh, they have their series finale Wednesday or Thursday uh, against the pirates. Mm-hmm. Uh, the white Sox bringing, they're going to be hosting the Orioles for four. Austin Hayes, as Zoe pointed out in the comments, Austin Hayes, the for, hit for the cycle. Uh, on Wednesday, he's coming to town hot. Uh, so any final thoughts on, uh, on the White Sox or Cubs? Here we go. We'll, we'll start with Mitch. Excited to see the new up-and-coming prospect. Uh, Hayes obviously will be good, but Sosa's going to outdo him. He's hitting that home run Friday. Place your bets there. Uh, honestly, you take five of seven in this next year. They should win them all, but you take five, five of seven, uh, I, I will be happy. So we'll see uh, how, how it goes. But I'm feeling confident. Cubs, not, not so much. They sell, not so sell I, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Kevin, I, final thoughts on uh, this week, the upcoming week? Well, I mean, for us, it's Cardinals weekend. So, right. But it's in St. Louis. And you always kind of try to get up for those. But, I mean, you don't want to back in there. I mean, the Cubs lost two of three so far to the Pirates on the road already at this point. You're hoping that maybe kind of they can maybe put up a fight against the Cardinals at least because it's – it's i mean honestly i don't want to deal with cardinal fans and they're going to want to bury they're going to want to bury the cubs if they can so that'll be uh you know a tough but they've got a pretty decent stretch i mean it goes couple with the pirates you got the cardinals three gamer and then you got the reds but then after that red series i believe for the cubs uh they did just finish this little stretch that was tough i think four seven and 14 but um after you finish with you know the, the you go three against the cardinals three against the reds three against boston Three against the Brewers, four against the Dodgers uh, through Jan- or through July 10th. Get a nice couple, two gamers versus the Orioles, and then a four-game set to close out to the All-Star break against arguably the hottest team in the National League, the New York Mets. So it it's not – the Cubs are going to – they've got a minefield to get through. They really only have, what, two – let's see, it would be two, and then you got you know, the Reds game. So they got about five. Do you keep with- yourself the cricket sound right? That's, that's my uh- – <laughs> <laughs> a little alarm. It was like, was that Mitch? Mitch giving out the cricket sound bites? No, that was not me. That almost reminded me of like that Dave Chappelle bit where he's got the wrap it up. Button. Yeah, the wrap. That's what I thought you. That was my wrap it up button for my own. Yeah. It's time to go watch Mash on the television. Uh, no, uh, so yeah, that, they got a tough. They got seven cupcakes. In, you know, uh, the last thing I want to say, you're bringing up the schedule and you're bringing up the, the Cardinals and the, the Brewers uh, upcoming. That's yeah, the the other annoying part. Those teams are not that good. They're 39-31. They're like, I mean, they have winning records, but they are not that good. There's no, the Cubs had no excuse not to at least try to compete in that's this division. What, that's what and we right thought. Right now. Right now, the only thing they're competing for is to like stay out of fifth, out of last place. Yeah, with the Reds, which the, the Red Series, they could go fall back into it. The funny thing is, this is what we thought the Cubs were doing. I thought the Cubs were putting together a good enough team that in the shitty NL Central, they exactly. would be right in the thick of it. Like a second place, what is the old Reinsdorf thing? A second place team sells a hell of a lot of tickets, like that, right? Like, yeah, like that's the thing. Yeah, like, like that's the thing. They should have been a team that, that right. could have 
we could have still called them out for not trying as much as they could have, but they could have fallen back on like, oh, look, we were competing until this day or we were competing through this time, but they can't, they couldn't even do that. You know, I will um, give St. Louis some credit, by the way. If you like Italian, go get some Italian on the hill. It's a good place to go eat. St. Louis oh, pizza is terrible. But uh, sorry, Matt, sorry, Jack. But yeah, anyway, if you're going to the side, if you're going to go watch the Cubs this week, if you were a Cub fan braving, you know, hopping down, hopping through Springfield and jumping on over to St. Louis, go to the hill, get some, get some pasta. Um, Zoe will be back, I think, next week. Uh, we'll see what stories he brings back. Um, but until then, everyone take care. Go Cubs, go Sox, uh, and fuck the card. Rebuild of the favorites. We here for the latest. Yeah. South side or the north side. Not tuned to the greatest. Home team for the home teams. Both sides got our own rings. On the mound or the long ball. But we don't put the wrong strings. Yeah. It's that time of the year now. Wrigley or Gantee, so the whole league that we hear now. New show with a new mood. Discussions and interviews. Trade rumors that might be. This is Pinwheels and Knife. Yeah. This is what you waiting for, yeah. You can put it on the boy, yeah. Every season, nigga, it all change. Take me out to the bar game. This is what you waiting for, yeah. You can put it on the boy. Season, make it all change. Season, make it all change. Take me out to the ball game.